Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, big win in Stillwater. What's going on? Homecoming victory. That was a exciting game. The crowd was awesome. The atmosphere was great. We got to ride up there together. Yes, we did. Uh, we took a little bus thing up there. We had podcast sponsor Andrew Cox on there, me and Cade. We had a friend of the pod, Alex Fuller, Barrett Fuller. We had another friend of the pod, Eddie Radosovich. Don't know how he got on there. He's an OU fan, but he was there. <laughs> But I uh, had a great time. Uh, it was a lot of fun hanging out in Stillwater. The game was a lot of fun. The way it ended was a lot of fun. What about you? Oh, I mean, I've I've been thinking about it for four days. Can't believe we're already the Tuesday <laughs> evening because it feels like Saturday. I mean, that was it was euphoric from from the time I saw you at like 9 a.m. until the time I didn't see you around like 10 p.m. It was like everything between those hours was awesome. So, yeah, <laughs> it was a great it, time. It just it felt like 45 the entire day. It there were absolutely 45 vibes flowing. Um <laughs> I it was a blast. And uh I gotta say the the amount of uh of you know let, let's call it two thousands rock, which I've been uh, accused of loving that was played on that bus was it was like you guys knew that's what I loved. So I just wanted to shout out Mr. Alex Fuller for the DJ skills. That was great. Yeah, he was he was feeling himself for he a was, while. He there. was in his bag for sure. <laughs> Speaking of being in your bag, let's just before we get into this, let's let's thank Price Buckley with Edward Jones. Price is a fourth generation in his family to graduate from Oklahoma State University, and he loves working with fellow alumni. Price uses a personalized approach to build a custom investment strategy tailored to your unique goals and circumstances, so that you can turn your ideal future into a reality. Reach Price at four six nine seven five seven zero two nine zero or on his website at edwardjones.com forward slash price hyphen Buckley. Sorry, in his it, bags, money, we're talking same thing. Too too good to pass yeah, up Yeah, it was there. a great segue. Thank you for that. Um, But no, an amazing day in Stillwater. A, a huge win. Um, I thought that, I mean, we can, we'll get into the game here in a little bit, but the two things I wanted to start off with, one, the atmosphere. Mike Gundy talked about it on his radio show. I think... I've thought a lot about this. I think I was pretty uh, romantic about it on Saturday, and I said top three. I may backtrack that, and I'll call it a top five environment in Stillwater, but, I mean, that fourth quarter, I don't know the last time I heard it that loud. Yeah, my uh, voice still isn't all the way back, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure you can tell a little bit. So it that's was... what the hot lemon and tea is for? I was wondering. <laughs> It was insanely loud. The crowd did a great job. Student section was crushing it. I, I thought it was awesome. Like you said, Mike Gundy mentioned it, I think, in both press conferences and on his radio show about how loud it was, the atmosphere, the pom-poms in the student section. It was a lot of fun. The game was kind of – I mean, Kate, I feel like it was kind of like how you and I thought it was going <laughs> to go. We thought it would be pretty close. I thought Oklahoma State would probably hold the lead – for a majority of the time, whereas Texas kind of held the lead for a while. 
but it was fairly close. Oklahoma State pulled away late, and Texas, with their young quarterback, wasn't able to answer on the road. I wasn't really shocked with much from this game. Like, I feel like a lot of the games this season, you and I have said some things and been either completely wrong or kind of right on some, kind of wrong, but the game flow hasn't really been how we thought. This one I felt like was. A hundred percent. And uh, Dustin, I, I brought you something. I brought you your flowers. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed the score. That's yeah, I don't know if we've me. ever done that together. 41 to 34 is what you said. And that's what happened. And let's just get it right out there. When I saw you first after the game, your exact words were, what do you know about 41 to 34? So uh, <laughs> you were very humble in that victory, I must add. So congratulations on that. I mean, but I think not only that unbelievably impressive thing, I do think we were right. Um, the pressure that Oklahoma State was able to get on Quinn Ewers, they only had the one sack, but 13 quarterback hurries. I said they needed five, which was way too low, apparently, because 13, I mean, he he threw the ball into the third row 13 times. It was really a, you know, it that stat alone hides a little bit because it doesn't show you just how dominant the defensive line was for Oklahoma State. And I think that, you know, in the fourth quarter, I think that's what ultimately helped them win the game. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, just we have to talk about how we're right because we're not normally right. But <laughs> I, I do think, yes, getting the pressure on yours, the he was rattled, it seemed, pretty much right after that first interception. Yep. And then we've seen I, – I know we're going to get into a little bit more, but I think one of the key things is, you know, blitzing the linebackers, bringing the guys from the second level has had some success – you know, other times it hasn't been so successful. It's been pretty inconsistent this year, especially with guys like Benson and Cobb who are less experienced. But Cobb got there a bunch yeah. in this game. And even when they were just rushing four, they were able to get there. We saw the three Leo set come back, which I mentioned in my Twitter thread. So there was a lot of fun stuff in this game. I thought offensively, we saw some new formations. We saw yep. some trick plays, which we've started to, has kind of been a theme this season, at least one or two each game. Spencer Sanders threw the ball around 57 times. You and I talked about the way to beat this Texas team. Iowa State tried to do it this way is throw it at them. And, you know, people are like, well, if, if, if you're going to be one dimensional, can't they take that away? When you've got a guy like Spencer Sanders and you're able to utilize running back swing passes and wide receiver screens, you're able to open some things up and bust a long run. We finally saw a long run for the running backs. Uh, that was the happiest I think I've been all season when Jaden Nixon broke that run. I, you know, I'm I'm yelling that at my wife. She doesn't exactly understand what I'm saying, but a, a long run from the running back. We've been calling for it. Joe Maholski and um, I think it was Springfield, maybe. One of the other linemen both got up to the second level, set some great blocks. And if you're going to get up to the second level, Jaden Nixon's going to be able to make somebody miss up there. And he yeah, did. Yeah, no, no question. Dustin, I want to get into all of this. Before we do that, we have two things. Number one, we forgot to mention, we got to see our another friend at the pod, Adam Lunt. We saw we him did. on Saturday. We did see Lunt. We, we got to hang out we with We really Lunt for a got bit. to, to kind of, it was a feels like 45 reunion. We should have got some better pictures because uh, the ones we got were not the, not the best. Number two, though, before we get any further, we have to talk about the helmet. We have to talk about the bucking Bronco on the orange with the black stripe. I mean, your thoughts on that? I 
it's it's up there for me. I loved the way it looked. Yeah, I thought it was really awesome. I, I loved the logo. I liked the orange helmet. I thought the all orange was great. I'm not, you know, I love the uniforms. Yeah, not it's not huge... your it's not your jive. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not I, I'm not probably the the best at breaking down uniform combos. I'm not, you know, our guy, uh our guy Justin Southwell called That's right. the jersey like exactly. Shout out to him on that. And Shout out to their podcast. Uh, it's really great with him and Eve Patoba yep. and Megan Robinson. They do a great job on that pod as well. So shout out to them. But I, I loved it. How did you, like, where does that helmet rank for you? Is it one of the better ones you've seen? I don't know if it's like, I mean, will I like think about it a lot? Probably not, but I. But you don't love the orange, right? Well, I do now. Um, yeah, on I, that one. <laughs> On that helmet, and yeah. I'll say this: I didn't think I liked all orange, but we hadn't seen it with this uniform combo, like this uniform template. It looks fantastic. I can't, be I can't believe it took six years to wear all orange because I loved it. Well, they've had some issues in the past. I think matching the orange on the helmet, yeah, with the orange on the jerseys and the pants. And the last couple of times, I think they've went with the orange helmet. It's matched a little bit better than it had in the past. So I. I've liked it more as they've worn, you know, orange with orange tops. And I really, I mean, the logo was amazing. One of the subtle features on that helmet was the pokes on the uh, kind of like, what what do you call that? The bumper on the top. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought that was so good. So good. One yeah, other thing awesome. that we need to remind people of is that our sponsor, Homefield Apparel, has this helmet on a new hoodie and t-shirt drop. It came out at 2.15 uh, on Saturday, right before kickoff, and it's gorgeous. And you should head over to Homefield Apparel and check it out. I think, Dustin, you said you have one on the way, so you, yes. may, you may be able to see it on our feeds here pretty soon. Um, I think I may need to get one. I'm not a big white guy, but I do like the cream hoodie. I, I could see myself wearing that. So, But a reminder for you, with our promo code FEELS12, you'll actually get 15% off on your first order with them. So check out homefieldapparel.com. Again, be sure if you're going to go buy that hoodie or anything else with Homefield Apparel, be sure to use our promo code FEELS12 for 15% off your first order. I can't wait to see it, Dustin. It's a great look. Yeah, and I'll be uh I'll I'll surely be modeling it and posting it on our Instagram. <laughs> so be prepared for that for that yeah. heat. Oh, I'm I'm waiting. I have notifications on. All right. Well, I mean, let's just get right into it. We'll start on the offense. I we normally don't start with Spencer Sanders. We I feel like we've kind of put him at the end. Can we start with him? I mean, yeah. 34 of 57, 391 yards, two touchdowns, and one pick. I think the one pick on 57 attempts is a huge story in this game that maybe people aren't even really thinking about. His usage was through the roof and he was throwing it through traffic almost all game. I thought he was, this may be one of his best games. I think I can remember kind of up there with Notre Dame, um, Bedlam last year. This is one that's going to stick out to me. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> 57 passes attempted is tied for fourth most in a single game in Oklahoma State program history. <laughs> so he threw it around a lot. That's kind of the recipe we've seen now in a few games to beat Texas or give them some trouble. They've had some issues. 
we did see early on when they had cornerback Ryan Watts, he ended up going down with injury. We talked about him on the podcast. He was getting pretty physical early. They called him for it, I think, once or twice on defensive pass interference, which I'm sure we'll get into the Texas penalties as well. (laughs) But you, you could tell that was kind of messing with Oklahoma State's receivers a little bit, and they've struggled with getting some separation. But as the game went on, I thought they played great. I thought Spencer Sanders played amazing. Only, Kate, I only had him for two designed runs. And Mike Gunny mentioned that on the radio, so they didn't dial many up for him. He had 48 yards scrambling, and that is just him being a very, very savvy, smart quarterback because you see him throw the ball away as well. You see him go through all his progressions, but he's able to know. There was one time when I think it was a designed rollout, and he saw right away that everyone flowed with the rollout. I think one of the receivers was open, but he decided to just keep it himself anyway right. because it was a it was wide open. He knew he could get the first down. And it's just experience and him being a really good runner, and it all leads together to him you know, getting almost 60 yards on the ground again when you take out the sacks and the kneel. He's at 56 total yards, 6.2 yards per carry. You know, the Oklahoma State rushing attack in general, we talked about 3.8, 3.9 would be good yards per carry. You take out the two sacks and the kneel, they're up to 4.2. And I think the running backs themselves were even around that number. So, you know, you have the scramble yards in there, but overall, I thought I thought his performance was stellar. Yeah, I mean, he... I thought he was the story of the game. One of the other stories of the game took place on the other side of the football. We'll get to that. But Spencer, his decision-making was elite. There was a play that um, I don't know if many talked about. It was actually the play that he got hit on, and they called targeting but ended up picking it up. He, he makes an unbelievable move on the linebacker attempting to make a tackle. Really kind of made him look silly. Um, and on that play, I should throw it out there so people know what I'm referring to. I don't know if people give his acceleration enough credit. He's up to full speed in about three steps, and he becomes extremely difficult to track and bring down. It's almost like by the time you get your bearings about you where he's at, he's already five yards downfield. He's just he's an impressive quarterback, and it's the maturity. It's the savviness you talked about. Um, I also think he's got some receivers around him right now who have stepped up. And we talked about that, the need for that against some of these physical corners from Texas. Um, Yeah, I think he has all the weapons at his disposal. And he himself is elevating this season for Oklahoma State. Yeah, and you you didn't see him hit a lot on the deep ball. I think he only connected on two of nine attempts, 20-plus yards down the field. But he's shredding Texas's defense up across the middle multiple so they went to the double slants concept a lot late texas started playing some more man coverage they they were basically doing what you and i said you know we talked about last year's texas game they were doing the two high quarters all season they play oklahoma state single high to try to stop the run game a little bit and shade somebody over tay martin's side we thought with how this season has gone for oklahoma state some of the receivers having some issues they want to take away the deep ball the run game isn't operating on all cylinders They stay in that too high quarters look, and they did that for basically the entire first half. They come out in the third quarter. They play a lot of man, kind of shakes things up a little bit. Oklahoma State struggled a little bit. But then as the game moved on into the end of the third, into the fourth, 
they go to that double slants concept. The receivers are winning their routes. Every time. And Spencer is putting the ball right on the money to these guys. John Paul Richardson, Stephon Johnson. And Cade, PFF has Spencer getting dry, or blitzed on 15 of his attempts and him completing 10 of those. That's 67% oh. under pressure. And he consistently did it all day. The other thing that they kept hitting on, I, I want to say it was like four or five times. I put an example on the Twitter thread. Texas would show their Mike linebacker ready to stun or blitz through the A-gap. He'd be up near, mug near the line of scrimmage. Oklahoma State would check over to the side. The linebacker would drop back, but then he would still blitz. And you know Oklahoma State knows he's coming, so then Spencer's hitting a crosser or a slant right over the top right there. I, I was a little confused why Texas wasn't checking out after Oklahoma State was looking at the sideline, but I thought Spencer made it early on. He was trying to go to those outs and some of those some of those routes we see him throw early on yeah. the game to kind of gain confidence. Texas was getting in the way. They had those covered, and he just made an adjustment. I had him with three turnover-worthy plays. One of them was the interception. But like you said, 57 attempts. I, I don't think that's that many in the grand scheme of things. And one of those he was getting hit on. Right. Well, the thing for me with him, I mean, I, we, we've talked about his decision-making, but the second half game plan, as you just laid out beautifully, was pretty much attacking the middle. And we've, I don't, I don't know if as Oklahoma State fans, we've talked about it as much this year because Spencer has developed, but there was a long time where it felt like there was not a lot in the middle of the field. And with Brendan Presley and John Paul Richardson, I think you have two dynamic talents and then you've got in John Paul I mean talk about a third down like safety blanket for Spencer Sanders we talked about this early in the year and it's still true maybe even more true than it was then when when the chips are down that's where Spencer wants to go it looks like is to go to John Paul and I don't know how many of his seven came in the second half but I'm I'm betting it's five I mean it he was the guy in the second half well, he finally uh, he finally led the team in targets. Right, we've been calling for that all year. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he, he had twelve. Stephon had eleven, and Bryson Green had eleven. And then after that, Brandon Presley with nine. You know, he catches seven of his twelve targets for sixty-three yards. And like you said, you know, I he caught a bunch of them late in big situations. Made another he, crazy one-handed catch too that kind of flew under the radar. Yeah, and the the. Spencer's confidence in him, in Presley, in getting the ball to the outside to Bryson Green. There were a couple times where Spencer missed Bryson. And, you know, we're, we're saying all this great stuff about Spencer. He did miss on some throws. Like I said, the three turnover-worthy plays. There were a couple that the receivers snagged, which are in their catch radius, so I don't call those bad throws. But they made some good catches on. But, you know, there's a couple of those little hitch comeback routes on the outside that Spencer's throwing with a hurt from the opposite hash to Bryson, he's missing just a little bit. And I, I don't think if he's fully healthy, he, they connect on those every single time. And, you know, they're still building their chemistry. I know we're seven games in, but they, they still are. They haven't played together a ton in game. So I think if he hits on a few more of those, there were, I had three drops. You see that completion percentage go up a little bit more. 60 is a little low. You'd like it to be a little bit closer to 65, but I still thought it was a great game from him overall passing. He caught a pass, which our guy Barrett Fuller's been <laughs> been calling for. Man, a and a terrible better, throw from Jaden uh, Nixon. A better throw, and I think he might score. They had that set up <laughs> perfectly. 
I he won Big Twelve Offensive Player of the Week, and I think it was thoroughly deserved. I'm not sure. Besides, like like I said, there was a few throws he missed on. He had the interception, which I think on that I, we haven't seen him throw the fade ball to Stefan very much. I think he was looking for more of just a straight up back shoulder throw than a contested catch. So I'm not sure how bad the throw was. It was just a great play by Ryan Watts. Yeah, and if I'll say this, if it was a fade, I'm not sure it was a great throw. If he was trying right. to go back shoulder, then yeah, I could see that. But I mean, so the pick was he to put Stephon, it on a rope, and he did. So you, you're probably right that that I mean that ball was flat. I mean, from where we were sitting, it never had a chance. So you you may actually go on to that throw there. as well. Well, and the play before it was to uh, Talon Shetron, and he nearly caught it. It was not a great throw either, and. I mean, Shetron almost comes over the top of Ryan Watson, catches it and scores. And then the very next play, I think, right? Yeah, the difference in those throws, though, you know, like he's throwing the one to Shetron five yards deep into the right, end zone. Right. And the one to Stefan is right at the pylon. I, I think I you're right. I think it was I think supposed right. to be back shoulder. Still wasn't a great throw, but that was a great play by Ryan Watts. I yeah, mean, I think you're right. He's, he's a good cornerback. And the fact that he went out in the game, you could tell – Oklahoma State felt a little bit more comfortable throwing it around once he was out. Yeah, no, I, I think you're completely right. Um, you know, the only other thing I'll say about Spencer Sanders is I feel like he loves playing Texas. I said it last week on the podcast, but he had a kind of calmness about him that I don't know if you see much of last year, year before that, definitely. Um, he has absolutely taken the leap. But I felt like that was kind of his like stamp, like the national stamp. The old Spencer Sanders that you knew is gone. I'm here. And I just felt like he took complete and total advantage of it. Um, and he was exactly what Oklahoma State needed because they, they're not going to win that game without him. There's no way. And Kate, I think I know I already mentioned it, but winning the game only with him only running two to that. And I know there's some read plays that he can keep it on that he, he handed it off, but him only keeping it twice on designed runs, I think is huge for the game plans going forward because to see us win a game without having to use him yep. in our actual run game, I know he's still scrambled. Now you can pull out some things that maybe you haven't used in a few weeks. Kansas state may not be game planning for, you know, I I'm, they're still going to game plan for Spencer to run the football. He's a great runner, but you can pull some things out that maybe you haven't used since week two. Yep. And you know, now you don't have a ton of film on that stuff. And if you start struggling in other areas, you can go back to that as kind of like your safety net because you know he can pick up yards on the ground. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. And it's funny, essentially, when you take out kneel down and sacks, as you said, 56 yards, we've called that number for, I mean, what, the better half of a year and a half now? 60 is the number. And they don't even have to design a play to do that. So he's likely yeah, not taking as much hard contact. Way. Yeah, he gets 60 the hard way, but he's also probably not taking nearly as much contact because they're not scheming him to run it. So I, I think he's just his decision making in that regard too has has improved dramatically. And we we could go on and on about him. I yeah, mean, and, truthfully. And Kate, I wanted to spend a uh, I, I mean, I think we covered it now, but I wanted to spend some time on it because there's a lot of great storylines that come out of this game. And I think even I'm not calling anyone out. I'm saying even like me and you, we get so used to him having solid games because 
since basically the middle of last season, throwing out the Big 12 championship, even early on last season after everybody got healthy, he's been so consistently solid that it's almost like, well, we know Spencer's going to play good. Let's just right. you know, kind of move on to a different storyline. So, you know, you talked about giving me my flowers. We got to give him his. Yeah, you're exactly right. I'm just wondering when I'm going to get mine. That's all. That's all I'm wondering. Um, <laughs> no, I want to talk. I want to talk running backs because I I have something to throw out at you. And and we've talked about this ad nauseum. So if you've listened to this podcast, this is this is not a surprise. But Dom Richardson goes out in this game uh, with an injury. That's what was said. Well, I'm not sure, but what I do know is the run game got a jolt and it's not anything to do with Dom. I'm not talking anything about him. I actually, my proposal includes him, but in between the twenties, I mean, Nixon and Ollie Gordon were, were good. They were really good. And Jaden Nixon has the longest designed run from any Cowboy running back all year in the biggest game of the year against the top rush defense in college football. And here's the thing about that run. It wasn't there. Like he, he had to weave himself through traffic to get there. And I'm not, I'm just not sure that that happens with another running back on this roster right now. No, I think you're right. And you know, one thing you can point to with Nixon is he had the 51 yard run on eight carries. So the other seven, seven carries, for had, 13, you know, yeah, 13 yards. But the thing is he had another eight yard gain. The thing with Nixon is, which doesn't really happen to Dom very much because he's so physical and can break tackles is he doesn't get many negative yard rushes. Right. Nixon had three, which aren't all on him. I'm saying they're not blocked well, but that's something that Dom does a little bit better. But to your point, you know, those plays I was talking about, I went and looked at my notes. It was Maholsky and Springfield. And then on the eight yard run, Brooks got to the second level. So, the offensive linemen need to get to the second level more than they have been. And I thought they did a little bit better job run blocking in this game than they have in, you know, last game. But if they can get there, it can spring this type of run for a guy like Nixon. Whereas for Dom, I think that one's a, you know, nine yard run. I think he I think he right, gets caught right. a little bit faster because he's not the track star speed demon that Nixon is. So I could completely agree with your point. And I'm not saying let's give Jaden Nixon 90% of the carries. Nope. I just think what you and I talked about on the last podcast and Gundy even mentioned it himself on his radio show last week. I think it needs to be more split carries wise now because Dom's taking too many hits. And because I think we've got, we've seen it already. I mean, we're, you know, halfway through the season over halfway through the season we've seen it. Dom just sometimes can't break the big run, even if he gets the second level blocks like a Nixon can. Well, and I think you got to add that into your scheme, into your game plan. Well, and and the thing about it is the the zone running scheme requires somebody that is a little bit shiftier and more elusive, and that has you know straight line speed. I'll say this, my, and I'm going to propose this to you finally. My proposal involves Dom Richardson. But I think between the 20s and on first and second and third down, I mean, third and more than five, those, those carries need to go to Nixon or, or Gordon if you're running the ball there. And inside the red zone, I mean, Richardson had three touchdowns in this game and all of them coming with between five yards. So the thing about him is like he is a great running back in the red zone and in goal line situations. One of the more like 
if he's getting the ball there, I think they're scoring. Like that's just a surefire deal at this point. So when you're trying to move the ball in between the twenties, if you have somebody that's a little bit more dynamic and I, I still think the jury's out. Like, I don't, I don't think this is a surefire thing with Nixon because of what you laid out with the three negative carries, but between him and Gordon, I mean, Gordon had four for 13. So you had a little bit more sustained success on those carries. I think you have something to gain yardage with those two and then, you know, shut the door with Dom Richardson in, in, you know, red zone and goal line situations and in short yardage. Cade, I mean, that, that makes complete sense. And that's why I'm saying you have to split the carries throughout the game. Right. Because you want to be able to use Richardson in those situations you want to be able to, but you don't want teams to catch on. So sometimes you have to have Dom out there. Little tendency breakers. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but if you're only putting Dom in like, like they did in this last game, which is fine because this is the first game they've even used multiple backs this many times and Dom went out with the injury. But going forward, I think it has to be more of a steady split. And I'm not talking like, you know, split it evenly across the way, but I think Dom's need to come down from him getting, you know, 85, 90% of the carries because teams will start to catch on and be like, okay, Dom's only short yardage guy. You need to mix them all in and be able to kind of throw things off with the other team so they can't catch on to any tendencies, but also use these guys to your strengths. And the only way to do that is to get everybody more carries, get everybody more snaps. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I mean, here's the other deal. Jaden Nixon, like 20 of the 50 on that carry came without a shoe, which was really impressive. That was really funny. It was funny to hear, uh, Gundy talk about yeah I didn't even quite realize it live that I saw something flying I didn't realize it was a shoe if he had scored on that that we would have printed the shirts then like it would have been like (laughs) him barefoot with one shoe flying it would have been fantastic and kid we see again you know they mix in I had one counter run three sweeps one power run yep and then they had the reverse one of those sweeps was the jet sweep as well to Presley so they're mixing things in. You still have 24 zone carries, but they mix in split. They mix in straight outside zone, inside zone. Even some stuff that looked like the wide mid zone that Baylor runs, which I think was maybe being utilized to get those linemen up to the second level easier. But they're mixing things up in the run game more, I think, than they even did last year because with a guy like Jalen Warren who ran the zone scheme so well, it was just zone runs every single play, whether it be outside or inside, with some split mixed in there. And now they're kind of mixing things up, and I like that. And, Cade, what I really liked from the running backs was the swing passes. They used that as an extension of the running game. I know. And, you know, there was – I think two of them went for 14-yard, six-yard, a five-yard, four-yard. They make some screens in there as well. Using the running backs in the passing game will help, especially these swing passes and the wide receiver screens, that will open up the middle so you can run it on inside and outside zone back in the middle of the field. Well, it was, I mean, it got to the point where it was like Texas couldn't stop OSU from doing anything. Like they were, they were flipping it out to the sideline. They were running it up the middle. They were throwing it over the linebacker's head. They were throwing it deep to Bryson Green and he's shedding tackles and scoring touchdowns. It was, the game plan was, was perfect in the second half. And I thought, I'm glad you brought that up because it's something I had, had noticed live. It was like, Texas had no answer for that. Like they, they had nobody to commit to that play. It was almost like whenever Oklahoma State ran that, 
it was a guaranteed five yards and they ran it a lot. And I would expect that if, if teams start to show tendencies one way or another, we're, we're going to do something like that. It's either going to be a lateral out. It's going to be speed option. Some of those things that, that you're taking what the defense gives you, but we hadn't seen a ton of that early on in this year. And then, you know, now the opportunity presents itself against a team that's not really doing much to prevent it. And Oklahoma state completely exploits it. Perfect call by you. Yeah, and I, I we talked about it earlier with kind of mixing up the formations and things like that. They went 11 personnel, heavy again, 60%, but they go 10, 12. They showed the zero personnel again where they bring five receivers out there, one of them being Braylon Presley, and they even went with the 23. So five different personnel groupings in this game. I think that's the first time they've done that this season. You know, they've done zero and 23, but I don't think they've done a 10, 11, 12, zero, and 23 all in the same game. So I loved that. We saw a quads where four receivers are to one side. We've seen them do that before this year. Like I said, the trick play. So it was a lot of different stuff. Basically the first quarter didn't go very well. <laughs> and I think maybe the set, I think it was the second drive of the second quarter. And from then on, I thought the play calling was great. You had a couple stalled out drives, but overall I thought it moved. It flowed pretty well. You could see plays kind of, building off of each other. And that's what we asked for from Casey Dunn. You know, we've, we've critiqued him at times this year and we've also, we've given him his flowers, but in this game, I, I thought he did a pretty good job. You know, like I said, there was a couple of times where some drives stalled out, but overall, I don't think it ever got too complacent. They went tempo. They went, look over to the side, check with me. And I, I just, I really liked the game plan overall on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, no, no question about it. So, Dustin, we, we've talked a lot about the inside receivers this year, John Paul Richardson, Brennan Presley, but a guy who we have talked a lot about, we've given him his flowers, we've, we've thrown out some critiques as well, um, th- and this is a flowery episode, so we're yeah, clearly we're in a name at that or something. <laughs> we're, we're clearly in a, in a giving mood today. I, I got I to give some flowers to Stephon Johnson. I mean... We, we haven't critiqued him necessarily, but that guy is different. Yeah, I, we talked about it last game. He had some trouble getting off press, got pushed out of bounds on that one, had a little bit of trouble getting some separation. In this game, I, I think what the coaches probably told him, what Casey Dunn probably told him in practice this week is, hey, you are an athletic freak. You're one of the shiftiest guys on the team. Use that. Yep. To get off a of press. You don't have to get physical every single time. I mean, you you want to be physical down the field for contesting catches, but you see him get off of Texas's press coverage just by using his quick feet and getting yeah. past the guy and not having to mess up his timing on the route. You saw him win the slant routes over and over again. You know, six catches for 90 yards. <laughs> his run after the catch ability is insane. Yeah, different. You know, if he, the, the one, they called that they went and reviewed that one was incomplete, but you know, if he grabs that one, that's probably what another 20 yards. He's up over a hundred yards with seven catches. Yeah, no, no question. I mean, he, uh, we've, we've been asking for a a route runner, you know, like on the outside, we, we know Brennan Preston, we know John Paul, we've been asking for somebody to get separation through that, through running crisp routes, using their elusiveness and quickness. 
that's Stefan Johnson. And man, he had an opportunity and did, did he seize it? Because there were multiple slant routes where it was like, nobody's near him. He has, he has turned the brakes on and he's wide open. He also made a fantastic catch early in that game. Spencer overthrew that slant route. He's open and he goes up and plucks it out of the air. He looked like Dez catching that ball. And I, I know that's a lofty comparison, but his athleticism is something that I don't think Oklahoma State has on the outside, uh, at least up until this point this season with Jaden Bray's absence. He's He was a revelation on Saturday. I don't think Oklahoma State wins the game without him either. Yeah, and he's you know he's obviously still going to put on some weight, but he's decently sized. I think he's listed at like 6'2", 185. If he puts on a little bit more weight, that's a pretty big receiver, and he's got the speed, and we talked about agility, you know, Bryson Green said after the game, the first quote is just, he's a freak athlete. So <laughs> when when a guy like Bryson Green, who's a pretty good athlete himself, is saying that, I, I thought it was awesome. He's very fast too, so he can take the top off. Spencer placed a fade ball to him perfectly early on in the game, just right over the cornerback's head, directly into his hands. And that was the play the week before that Stefan got pushed out of bounds on. Yeah. And in this one, he stays in bounds. He gives himself enough room. And Spencer's got the accuracy, even being hurt, to play, to place it right in there. He makes the catch. That's all I was asking for a week ago. And turned around, and he does it well. And, Cade, we may have to start calling him Boogie. Oh, because yeah? Because Casey Dunn is saying no one calls him Stefan. Boogie oh. is, like, what he goes by. So we may just call him that. It's, I mean, it's a little bit shorter and quicker to say anyway. And Boogie Johnson is such a good name for an Oklahoma State oh, yeah. wide receiver. We've never had a Boogie. Let's let's just go with that. Um, he also, there was another play. You mentioned it, the pass interference, but that doesn't happen without him being more physical than last week either. So that downfield physicality was absolutely there. And I don't know if you saw the dance he did in the locker room with the horns down that was on OSU's social media. I, I think he might be one of my favorite players already early on just his athletic ability, what he does on the field. And then he's clearly a big personality. Like the, the way he celebrates everything about him just kind of has this, like, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say superstar like uh, yet, but it's, he's got some star power to him for sure. Yeah, and Casey Dunn said just what you said. He he's talking. He's always talking. He's always having a good time. So I'm sure that makes him one of Gundy's least favorite players because he likes the quiet guys that never talk. But well, and he kept he pointing, seems awesome. He kept pointing downfield for first downs like the way CD Lamb does it. I was like, this guy's this guy's different. And another guy, like I I, I want to keep talking about Stefan, but another guy who you just mentioned, who I think has been maybe an unsung hero up to this point, is Bryson Green. I mean, my gosh, five catches, 133 yards and a touchdown, a game ceiling touchdown. He was phenomenal again. He played incredibly physical this week compared. I still think he can get more physical, but compared to how he's played in some of these games, you know, we've seen him kind of up and down on physicality. He kind of went completely away in the one game, didn't even have like any targets in that game. So for him to come back out a Especially, I know I've mentioned this multiple times, but when Ryan Watts went out, it was like a light bulb popped in his head. Like, hey, <laughs> this was the only guy who was even a challenge. 
uh, Jameson and these other Texas corners oh, are man. not going to be able to slow me down. And you could tell he just kind of went out there and did what he does. And he's another guy that can do some run after the catch. I mean, we see it in this game when he breaks the long run at the end of the game. He's not somebody that's going to go down easy. Even guys like John Paul Richardson, who's not the biggest guy, Oklahoma State's, and we saw Brandon Presley on that screen kind of get out from a tackle. The, these Oklahoma State wide receivers are not going to go down easy. And, Cade, something else I thought they did well, and Bryson Green specifically, they blocked well on the wide receiver screens. Talon Shetran pancaked a dude when he was out there. So if if they can continue to improve in these areas that we've said have been deficiencies, getting separation, being more physical, blocking, th- this receiving core is going to – I mean, the sky's the limit. Yeah, no, no question about it. And, it, and it changes the trajectory of the season. One thing that I that stood out to me, it's the it's two plays from Bryson Green. It's the it's the post route on third and nine early in that game, diving catch, and then it's the obvious play. He he catches that underneath route and and throws two dudes. Granted, that was some of the worst tackling and effort I've seen from a of from a team that's tied with three minutes left. And you have to you have to get a stop. It's some of the worst tackling I've ever seen. Um, but credit to Bryson Green just shedding those dudes, no question, and scoring. But it's also it's everything you asked for: physicality and separation. The other thing that I can't stop thinking about is how Oklahoma State spread the ball around to so many weapons. Because now, unlike a you know a Texas has a Xavier Worthy and a Bijan Robinson, and that's that's kind of it. It felt like on Saturday, you, you can't pick your poison against Oklahoma state because they're going, they're going to have something somewhere. And the play of the wide receivers on Saturday, if they can sustain that, because I think they've already passed. I, I think Kansas state is a test for them, but I think they've already passed the most physical corners in this league. I really, I really wonder if their play and ability to get off the ball like this elevates the trajectory of the season because i i think it does yeah and you know the, the casey dunn scheming up things to help them with some of those areas we talked about as well we saw a lot of stacked receiver sets we saw the diamond trips formation which kind of helps you get a clean release as well and like you said spreading it spreading it around to everybody so now when you see stefan johnson have a game like this you see bryson green come back and have a beautiful comeback game do you bracket the slots? Cause then you're leaving these guys one-on-one on the outside. Do you shade somebody to Bryson Green's side? Cause now you're leaving the slots one-on-one it like, like you just laid out, it makes the defense have to think. And then when you're adding in these swing passes to the running back, the wide receiver screens, Jaden Nixon breaking the 51 yard run, it turns into kind of what we talked about after the TCU game. You got to just pick your poison. You got to take away something, but you're going to get hurt somewhere else. So you got to be able to just kind of limit things that's how Oklahoma State's offense is turning into. The run game has been somewhat of deficiency, but they've been able to excel in all these other areas that it makes defenses think, like, what do we want to take away? Because they're going to hurt us somewhere else. Well, and it's like, even if the run game isn't perfect, which I think there's some, I mean, I, I feel better about the possibility of the run game improving after Saturday than I did at any other point in this year. So if the run game improves which let's not even, let's just throw that out. You still can't key on one receiver right now because if you key on an outside guy, they're going to carve you up inside. If you key inside, 
you got to worry about Stefan Johnson breaking off one on your corner or Bryson Green bullying somebody that's smaller than him. So I I really don't know what you do against those receivers right now. I think you have to have solid linebacker play. And looking down the line, again, I think Kansas State is a good challenge in this regard. But further down the line, I, I don't know who matches up with Oklahoma State very well. So <laughs> my point to that is huge game on Saturday. We'll get to all of that, but huge game because I think that's really one of the biggest tests remaining for this offense. So, yeah. And Kate, if you want to move on to the offensive line, I thought Maholski, you know, he had a couple bad snaps. He had that one that was almost a huge mistake <laughs> when Oklahoma State was down oh, boy. by their own end zone. I thought he played okay. Um, I thought Hunter Woodard until he got injured was okay. I thought the pass protection in general was okay. The run blocking improved, still not amazing, but like we said, 4.2 yards a carry. A lot of that comes from that Jaden Nixon run, but they blocked that play really well. So you can't exclude that play from our analysis, you know, one run for 51 yards, but the lineman got up to the second level. I thought Springfield had another decent game. Etienne, I'd love to see more in the run blocking, but I thought he passed protected okay. And then from the Cowboy back perspective, they continue to just kind of switch things up. This game, Rashad Owens gets his season high in snap count, 51 snaps. And Jake Schultz, I think with May, I don't know if it was his season low, but it was near it at 14, Castillo at 23. So you can tell too, they're releasing the Cowboy backs more into the route concepts than they had earlier in the season. I think they're, you know, they're we're gonna see some targets here and there throughout the rest of the season because I think with Owens out there, they're gonna dial some things up. We've seen them get a few targets recently. I think you'll start to see that increase. Owens overall, he knows what he's supposed to do blocking. He, he just there. doesn't do it. He's just not physical <laughs> enough. I, I love the effort. He's there, he engages, but then he's not really moving the guy out of the spot. On split zone, he has been doing a good job of either going low or at least getting in front of the guy so the back has that hole, kind of that trap block hole through the backside of the zone. But overall, once he gets that physicality down, it, it's taken, it took Blaine Green a while too. He's still kind of working on it as well. We haven't got to see him this season, but throughout last season, once Owens gets that down, he's going to be a freak at that position. Yeah, I, I thought the offensive line passed. And there's your flowers. Him. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, because you called Owens. So there's your Yeah, th- thank you, Dustin. I, w- I was waiting. Um, they still haven't thrown him out there on anything designed. Maybe it comes this weekend. We'll see. I'm waiting on that. Then you can truly give me my flowers when they, you know, roll them out there f- with nobody around him. I thought pass protection was, was really good. M- maybe not an A, like uh, nine QB hurries is a lot, but I thought it was one of their better games of the year, especially on 57 dropbacks. It's like, with a quarterback like a lot too. And when it with a quarterback like Spencer Sanders, it's like, yeah, I think you can handle that. So I'm not too worried about that. I thought pass protection was great. It felt like, especially late in the game, they had he had all day back there, it felt like. So it was a a test of their conditioning too. And then Cowboy back. I mean, I I wonder if Rashad Owens, his versatility. We know he's not the best blocker. Split zone. He, you, you gave him some credit. There was the play down at the goal line that Dom ended up scoring on. That Rashad comes over and and really kind of just doesn't touch anybody. But we Oklahoma State scores anyway. So I will be curious to see 
how he's utilized later on. Um, but again, I, I have no complaints on anything. You'd love run blocking to be better. Everybody would, you'd love to never have to throw the ball, but that's just not the nature of this offense right now. So, yeah, I think the only, the only issue I had on the pass blocking was there was still just too many leaks through the interior, whether that be Materico. I think I had him down for three, just kind of guy getting straight past him. Maholski had a couple and then, if there's a, st- you can tell defenses when they're stunting, they're attacking the left side because Materko and Maholski have a little bit of trouble passing those defenders off between each other. Like who takes who when those defenders are kind of twisting, looping over each other and taking different angles through the line of scrimmage, they get a little confused. Woodard does a good job on his side, but Maholski and Materko struggle with a little bit. I'd love to see that cleaned up a bit, but overall, like you said, it wasn't terrible from pass protecting. I thought the run blocking looked better. You'd love to see Preston Wilson get back from everything you and I've heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, Wilson's injury is not a season ender, so we think he's going to be back within the next few games. I don't know if it's this week. We don't have anything definitive. If you get Wilson back, though, and Woodard has to miss some time because he left with injury, you could play Maholski at guard, because he's been rotating in and out there. And we saw, even though Gundy said he hasn't practiced there since fall camp, we saw Brooks, Brooks play guard when Woodard went down, and we know he played guard at Vandy. So losing Woodard is big, because he's probably your best run blocker and one of your better pass protectors. But because they've rotated guys in, and because Brooks has experience at guard, I don't think it's the end of the world if Woodard has to miss a game or two here or there, because you've got Brooks and Maholski if Wilson's able to come back. Yeah, 100%. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, Hopefully Woodard doesn't miss any significant time, but I I don't know if he'll be back this weekend. I'm hoping, but I'm not sure that's going to be the case. So we'll see what happens there. Um, Dustin, what else on the offense? I'm sure we missed something, but I mean, we we laid stuff out in the Twitter thread. We spent probably an hour on Spencer Sanders. I feel feel good about it. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm I'm excited to talk about the defense, too, because I felt like in the first half, Oklahoma State, I mean, and and everybody probably felt this way, that they there were no answers. They were getting moved around. They were getting schemed over. It was just not a great performance overall. But we'll we'll talk about that. But what I want to start this conversation with three points given up in the second half after giving up. Uh, 31 in the first half. You're thinking, I don't know how Texas doesn't score 60 here. And I don't know how Oklahoma State keeps up. And then they come out and absolutely put the clamps down. There's several reasons for that. We'll get into it. But, I mean, for me, start with the D-line. 13 quarterback hurries, the one sack. Trace Ford played like an absolute madman. But he overall, got his sack. He got it, finally. And probably would have had a couple others if he wasn't held like, you know, I mean, it was like you've never been held before. So I thought the Oklahoma State defensive line was phenomenal and it allowed a young secondary, a really young secondary at times with Cam Smith, Lyric Rawls, and Jabbar Muhammad all playing kind of out of position. It gave them um, time, I guess is the best way to say it. And I, I just, I thought that that second half was as good as you could possibly have expected. Yeah, I think on the D line. So, Early on, pretty much everybody except Lacey and a little bit a C were getting pushed around. 
getting out of their gaps, maybe trying to you kind of jump their gap like we've talked about with Brock Martin in the past. And, you know, no Brock Martin in this game, no Brendan Evers. He's he's done for the season, for the, his career at Oklahoma State, going to get ready for the NFL. So you're down some guys that have played a lot of snaps this year. You got Colin Clay making his first start. You got Samuela playing a lot of snaps. You got Xavier Ross playing a lot of snaps in there. So early on, they were getting a little bit pushed around, but I thought as the first half went on and definitely into the second half, like you mentioned, a C made some big time plays. Lacey made some big time plays. Clay made big plays. Samuela, he's so nimble. And I, I it's weird because he's a big dude, but the, he's just able to kind of squeeze through the offensive lineman and make a tackle. And they all just, they don't quit. That's the thing. Even yeah. when they maybe get moved out of their gaps, especially Colin Clay, I noticed this a bunch from him. And then obviously Tyler Lacey, even if they get moved out of their gaps, Lacey and Clay may make the tackle. It, it may be a four yard gain, but these guys, the linebackers may be blocked and they're running after the ball carrier diving and making sure he doesn't bust it for a huge game. I just think they're all out hustle is big time. And aside from the first quarter and a half, I thought what I saw from clay was probably a little bit better than what we've seen from Evers recently. And that's not a shot at Evers. He is banged up to the point where he has to, stop playing this season because he's that hurt and needs to get better before the NFL draft or he won't pass the physicals. So I'm not, it's not a shot at Evers. I'm just saying, I think moving to clay may be an upgrade. I know he's very inexperienced, but I think it's an upgrade. Well, and you saw it really in the second half, Oklahoma state makes some adjustments. Mike Gundy talked about it, how they defend the counter pretty much every, if I know, I know Robinson had a couple of, really well blocked runs in the second half and got, you know, 10 or so, but most of his second half production came after contact. And it's really just like an effort run. Like Bijan Robinson is amazing and he's really good to watch in person. You can get a real appreciation for the way he kind of weaves through traffic, but I thought Oklahoma state, the interior of that defensive line allowed for Cobb and Benson at times to get after it a little bit better. I mean, last drive of the game, Mason Cobb on first and 10 goes and blows up the same counter that tore them up in the first half. I don't think that happens without, you know, a little bit more aggressive interior D line play, which is exactly what you talked about. I think you even mentioned this in the game thread, collapse the interior, spill the linebackers out and hope that the, that they run into the run back running back. And that's exactly what happened. And I don't think that happens to your point without improved uh, interior defensive line play. Yeah, and kind of what they were doing, because two of Texas's monster runs in the first half were on counter. And what was happening is that edge player, whether that be the field end or the Leo, was kind of just sitting there waiting, taking on the kickout puller. And in the second half, Texas still found some success on counter. It's not like they completely shut it down. No. And some of those pin and pull sweeps, they just didn't allow these 50-yard touchdown runs. What was happening, I put some examples. Trace Ford did a great job of it. Tyler Lacey, they're attacking the interior of that kickout puller to kind of clog up that hole where the other pulling lineman would lead through and the back would follow. So that causes the back to have to spill to the outside and we know from Oklahoma State's defense their safeties are going to crash down on the run the linebacker is going to take a different angle when the edge player does that 
So the running back is spilling directly to the linebacker into the safety over there. Bijan is still fast enough to pick up three or four yards, even though they're yeah. doing that. But you'd rather that than him busted up the middle for a 50-yard touchdown run. So I love that. Mason talked about getting numbers of the football. I also noticed in the second half, you know, they're normally Oklahoma State's defensive line is more of a kind of read react so they're taking up two gaps you hear one gap two gap kind of thing they're taking on the offensive lineman and they're kind of seeing where the running back goes and taking them they look to be slanting a little bit more kind of picking a gap with where the offensive line was moving to so even when texas was running their outside zone stuff and or counter they're slanting there and getting to the back and i think they grabbed Bijan for a couple of negative rushes in the second half and I loved the overall adjustments. I mean, the the adjustments that Mason made just on the defensive line and the interior and the linebackers was amazing. And we Gundy talked about how he gave the coaches some extra time at halftime. If you're questioning Derek Mason's adjustments, like halftime adjustment or in-game adjustment ability, I'm not sure what you're watching because he's now shown multiple times he has the ability to do that. Well, you know what we saw too late in the game was some twisting on the defensive line. That was different. Oh, I, we, yeah. we haven't seen a ton of that. We haven't. Yeah, it, they showed some stuff in this game that they haven't seen. We've kind of seen that every game this season, some new stuff. They go back to, we mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, we saw one snap with three Leos against TCU come back out and show it for, I think, 13 snaps in this game and basically the entire last two drives. So they were able to get pressure with four when they knew Texas was going to pass. And you see your yours has to throw it away. Like you said, eight, eight rows into the stands or just over Bobby Reed style. Yeah. And I, I just thought, I thought the defensive line played great aside from basically like the first quarter and 10 minutes. Yeah. And I mean, credit to the Texas offensive line for a couple of those runs. The one where Roshan Johnson took it right up the middle was kind of a masterclass of offensive line play and also how not to defend that run. But I mean, it was literally <laughs> like the interior, the whole middle of that defense just got walled off. And I, we don't see that a lot with Oklahoma state. So credit to them. But um, I think we also have to talk. I know we talked a lot about the way Oklahoma state defended the run. We have to talk about the way they defended Quinn Ewers. I know that the defensive line impacts that significantly, but Quinn Ewers' final stat line, 19 of 49, 319 yards, two touchdowns, and three interceptions. I can't believe he had 319 passing. It did not feel like it. So the thing about that – It was that, all just a couple – it was just a few big plays. Yeah, that's it. And I felt like what Oklahoma State's D-line was able to do was take some pressure and some guessing off of that young secondary – I mean, Thomas Harper's not out there. That's a that's a big loss for a team like this. You hope he's back next week. But, I mean, Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington and Jatavian Sanders, they don't really care. Like, those are some really good weapons for Texas. And Ewers really had no time to find them. Yeah, and about one of the things, kid, we mentioned this. Coming into the season, Texas's interior of their offensive line was supposed to be elite and the tackles were the question mark because they're so young. It's the opposite. I thought in this game, <laughs> I thought in this game, we see that interior. I, I, you and I had both said the interior had not looked very good coming into this game. Maybe we were, you know, a little biased because we're Oklahoma State fans, but the interior of Texas' offensive line did not play very good. And they gave up a lot of that pass rush that you just alluded to. And then on the back end, 
what Oklahoma State is doing, their best cover guy is playing the strike, the nickel safety, Jabbar Muhammad. Yeah. Because Thomas Harper is out and because they feel comfortable with Cam Smith and Corey Black's back from injury, they said, you know what? Gundy said he hadn't practiced there much, but because he's such a smart player and a good cover guy, they put him on the slot. So he's on Whittington or when they have Worthy in the slot, you've got the best cover guy on that receiver. Then you've got the other guys playing a lot of man, which you said makes it easier for these young corners or young corner in Cam Smith. Corey's a little bit more experienced. It almost looks like cover three at times because they play that off man, but it's more of a, you know, Mason calls it match. It's, it's basically man coverage. You just kept it simple on the back end. They threw J- any time worthy was to the boundary. Jason Taylor was shaded over to his side. So you think, you know, yours takes the snap and he thinks that's just a pre-snap look to try to not throw to worthy. Obviously Taylor's going to break off into cover one and go back to the middle of the field. There's no safety up to the other side. No Taylor's staying over worthy and saying, if you want to beat me, you've got to throw it to the other side of the field. And yours didn't feel comfortable doing that. He didn't feel comfortable making that opposite hash throw. He kept forcing the ball to worthy. I think he had 16 targets and he only caught four. (laughs) And that's just subtle things that Derek Mason is doing. And that guys like Jason Taylor and Jabbar Muhammad can execute. Well, and you know, for, for all the talk of the wind in Stillwater on Saturday, yours was missing easy stuff that, that Spencer Sanders wasn't missing. So a whole lot of hashtag weather talk going on. I, I don't know what you saw Dustin, but what I saw was a really inaccurate performance from Quinn ears. Even, even some of the underneath 10 to 15 yard stuff. I mean, early on, I mean, it, it was the first pick that he threw to Jason Taylor, the two plays before that he, he throws it completely behind worthy. And he just never was what I thought he was going to be. Um, and I, I didn't, I was in the stadium. It it wasn't that crazy windy in the stadium. No, I, I mean, maybe the wind played a little bit of a factor, but I think the, I think Colin Oliver, Ben Kapinski, yeah, Chase Ford, Tyler Lacey, I think these guys getting in his face, the 13 QB hurries that you mentioned. And I mean, if you want to move to linebackers, this is the first time that I think the linebacker blitz through that a gap. And we've seen multiple different kinds. You know, I, I pointed out on, Twitter, I think two games ago where the Leos are both or the end and the Leo are dropping and the two linebackers are cross blitzing, but like in a fire blitz type of thing, but Mason Cobb, he was getting there. He was getting through the gaps and making tackles on run plays, you know, still at times he and Benson look a little bit lost in coverage. I think that's just going to take more game reps even into next season. But Mason Cobb makes up for that so often with the plays he's able to make either in the pass rush, in the run game, out on the perimeter. He is an incredible player, and he definitely took that missed tackles. Uh, you know, he came down on himself about missing tackles in the previous game. He, I, I mean, I don't think he missed any in this one. He made some amazing tackles. Yeah, he he just plays uh, older than he is, I guess. He looks like he's been studying Malcolm Rodriguez for two years because he literally looks like a like younger mini Malcolm Rodriguez out there. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about what the future of linebacker looks like at Oklahoma state with Mason Cobb and a, a hopefully improved Xavier Benson who has all the tools. Golly, they, they, they may have just reloaded. They, they're going to need some depth there, but what Cobb brings you 
is is like superstar potential at that at that spot. You have to. I don't think you have to have superstar potential there, but Malcolm Rodriguez was the anchor of that defense last year, even with a Colin Oliver uh, and and all the veteran guys they had on the back end. It was the linebacker, and I I even think Cobb right now is becoming that right before our eyes because this was his best game of the season. I felt like he was again all over the place and the dude would have had two picks. One was tipped by his own guy. That was going to be a pick six underneath late in that game. And then the one that was actually going to be a pick six when he caught it. And then Texas gets whistled for a false start. I mean, not only is he awesome in run in the run game, not only is he great in blitzing, he covers these guys really well. He's just, he's kind of blossoming. And something we got onto him about in the TCU game, along with kind of some of the missed tackles, was just being maybe a little slow to react. Yep. Which we hadn't seen from him all year. He's been actually pretty fast to react, sometimes maybe in the wrong gap, but he's always <laughs> reacting. This game, he's, he's fitting his gaps correctly. He's reacting very fast. And I know, you know, we talked about Xavier Benson gets used more out kind of outside that wheat side linebacker spot. I thought he in the second half was a big reason that Texas couldn't hit on those running back wheels anymore. There was a lot of miscommunication in the first half, whether that had been on Cam Smith, Kendall Daniels, JT, but they started just kind of shooting Benson out there with whoever went out on that wheel or out into the flat from the backfield, whether that be the tight end Sanders or Bijan or Roshan. And Benson was out there and they weren't able to hit on that in the second half. And I know we talk about him kind of playing quietly, even though he's playing like 90% of the snaps. That's something that popped on tape to me this time, him getting out there and reacting quick enough to stop that. Well, and they had to do it because golly, how many times did Texas go back to that? Well, I mean, the, the, you called this too, by the way, (laughs) you, I don't know when, I don't know the last time you did this, but you said Texas is going to run this play a lot. And it was the wheel route with the corner to Worthy or Whittington or whoever they had lined up there. But holy cow, did they run that a lot? And it became pretty predictable. They do a really good job of kind of moving it around. But golly, I, I was not impressed by that. And Oklahoma State, I mean, defended it really well. I think they only converted on that kind of deep corner route one time. So yeah. Oklahoma State really defended that well. In the wheel, I mean, that was just Kendall Daniel said after the game, that was just yeah, totally. communication on his part. And Derek Mason said he thought it was just the guys didn't realize how fast these running backs were coming out of the backfield on that motion. And they just didn't get out there quick enough. So I think it was a little bit of both, but they cleaned it up. And I don't think Texas hit on it again no, I, in the game. I don't think so either. And you have to wonder too, even if Daniels gets out there, maybe he makes the tackle. If not, it was still well-designed and a good time to run it. Like that was going for a lot of yardage, even if Daniels is out there, I think so. And and I love Kendall Daniels, but you're going to, he's got to tackle one-on-one with probably the best running back in the country. So like yeah, said, he may not make that tackle. <laughs> uh, corners wise. I know we talked to bar, which I love him playing the strike. Oh, I think, I think Thomas is really good, but if Cam Smith can just play like he has been, which has been decent, you know, he struggles, but he has his good moments too. Jabbar at the strike was great and is a nice wrinkle if you have to use it. I obviously want Thomas back, but and that must mean Ray Gay, either they don't feel super comfortable with him playing a ton of snaps out there or he is now banged up again because we know he was early. 
But I, I thought Corey played really well. Corey Black, you know, he's fighting through injuries and playing. I thought he did a great job. I thought Cam was okay. I, I mean, I'm not going to crush him because he has barely any experience out there. He's going up against some of the best skill players in the Big 12. He got beat sometimes. He looked out of position sometimes. But I thought overall he was okay. Yeah, no, I did too. Again, th- this is this is probably the best group of receivers outside of Oklahoma State's that OSU's corners are going to see all year. So, I mean, I I thought, I mean, Worthy at four catches for 78 yards, that, that was even, you know, pretty good. And the one touchdown was just a scheme thing. I mean, Texas, again, credit to them, pull everybody in and then flip it out in the flat. It's a great play call. So, I, I just really kind of leave this game thinking, Man, I feel pretty good about Oklahoma State's ability going down down the you know home stretch of this season. Yeah, and it, I think the game plan was try your best to limit Bijan and and Roshan Johnson, which didn't always work out. But try your best to limit them. Take try to take away Worthy, and then something you and I didn't know on the preview podcast, you can play Jabbar over the slot and take away some of the stuff that they like to do to Whittington, who only had one catch. Right. So that was something I didn't know that they had in the bag, and it allowed them to take another piece of Texas's offense away, and they really only got hurt, like you said, by Worthy a couple of times, and then Jatavian Sanders, and that was really it out of the receivers. No, you know, other guys caught passes, but it wasn't anything big time aside from the, you know, the wheel routes of the running back. So I thought overall, great. I don't know how much we can talk. We're going to move to safeties. I don't know how much we can talk about JT because we've said this every pod. He's just really, really good at football. I mean, two two picks in this game. Is that, is that enough for you? He's so good at baiting the quarterback. I know. It's I like, mean, why it's do these guys to keep watch falling back. for it? Like, yeah. And that's all, that's all a young quarterback. But, I mean, God, Taylor just absolutely baited him into that. And then he throws it. It's fantastic. You can tell it kind of drives Gundy crazy, though, because he's like, yeah, well, Jason's completely out of position, and then he gets over there and makes the interception. <laughs> it wasn't in this game that he said that, but uh, the other game when he was in cover two and he had I a mean, late. just total nose for the football. It feels like every game he's doing something awesome. And, and, and both of those picks, I mean, the first one was a terrible throw by Quinn Ewers, but he's right there. And then the second one is – just kind of a master class, and he did it to shape and do like who else is gonna fall for this because well, he does it all the time. And then once they once Oklahoma State realized that yours was having a lot of issues connecting with his receivers, and sometimes it wasn't even the wind or bad throws, no. it was straight up miscommunication. Like he's throwing it and the receivers running a different part of their option route. Oklahoma State was able to bring Kendall Daniels and Sean Michael Flanagan down into the box. Yep. And that along with, you know, playing counter differently, that seriously helped the run game, uh, the run defense in the second half. So I thought that was big time as well. Yeah, 100%. whole lot of talk about Quinn Ewer's arm angles, and he's got all the talent in the world, I, I think. Um, it felt like every time they brought Daniels down into the box, or, or it was normally Daniels who was kind of flanking the edge and getting his hands up. I mean, I, I don't know if he completed one pass when when he had to do that. And there was a whole lot of talk. I mean, even Tom Luganville was doing a thing on the sideline where he was showing everybody the arm angles Quinn Ewers can take. And it's like, it didn't work today because Daniels was all over the place. So I, I loved what he did. Um, and again, you know, what more can you say about Jason Taylor? Spencer used some 
great arm angles in this game. I thought, sure, but sure did. They're not sure talking did. about that. Uh, Kate, I don't really have much else on the defense. Um, I, I think we got to skip special teams this week. Sorry, Jake. Jake, I, I'd love to formally apologize to, the game. to you, but sheesh, that's two. I'll say this: <laughs> that's two in a row. That's two bad games in a row on the special teams. TCU had several long returns that set up almost an identical short field. Now you have to give some of the blame to the offense, not doing anything with the football, but yeah, special teams has to, has to flip the field a little bit better. Yeah. And you know, the wins a factor there, Xavier worthy and some of these Texas return players are some of the best return men in the country. Yeah. Jameson, the, the, uh, Brandon Presley, you know, you got to get away from it if you're not going to catch it. But I still don't know if that hit him after watching the replay. I don't think it did. He definitely doesn't think it did. So, I, you know, a couple of things don't go the right way. I'm not going to hold Tanner to that super long field no. goal at the end of the half. So, I, and again, that was windy and yeah, a weird wins. So. It could have been swirling down there, too, because he was hitting field goals on the other end in warmups. And then when he came back down to the other end, he really was struggling. And he was, I mean, he shoot the dude, the dude has an absolute cannon for a leg, by the way. I mean, that, that field goal he missed was good from like 65. So yeah, um, he, it, I do think the wind was a factor down there. So yeah, totally with you, but they, they've got to clean a little bit of that up. And again, I put a little bit of that on the offense though. You got to move the ball a little bit. Logan Ward, uh, since he switched to full-time kickoffs, has been doing a good job getting it in the end zone for the most part for a young kicker. So yeah. I've been impressed with that. He's got yeah. a big leg. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, that was a good one. And no rest for the wicked because, I mean, just after a, a monumental win this season in Stillwater, oh, no big deal. You got to go on the road and go to Manhattan, one of the hardest places to play in this conference against just a, a strange team again. Kansas State is always weird to me. Like, I think you know what to expect with them, and then it's never that. You know, they go down into uh, Norman and beat OU, uh, take TCU up by several scores, and then lose that game. It's like, man, a couple of things go differently for K-State in that game, and and this is a huge, this is a huge game for both teams, but K-State absolutely has to have this one. Um, and they're they're dealing with some injury issues, and I think that was a storyline in their game against TCU, and it's a storyline coming into this game as well because, I mean, starting on the K-State offense, don't know who's going to play quarterback because Adrian Martinez played one snap and came out. My gut says he's going to play, but let's say he doesn't. I'm not sure Will Howard's going to play, and so that leaves you with just this big old question mark at quarterback for K-State. Yeah, so apparently Martinez has a deep knee bruise that he suffered in the Iowa State game, which that game was disgusting. <laughs> you know, I go back and watch these games so I can possibly do film breakdowns later in the week if I have time. And that I did, it, I think it ended 10 to 9. 10 to 9. Yeah. I, yeah. That, I don't but, think I had the over, but I had K State covering, and that was a <laughs> big loss. That one was a tough one to watch. But Adrian Martinez has the knee bruise. He comes out the first series against TCU doesn't come back in, but he's fully suited up still the whole time. He's kind of running around trying to jog it off. I thought, and from everything Gundy has said, it sounds like Gundy thinks he's going to play. And until I listened to coach Kleiman's presser today, now I'm not a little, I'm not as sure because he's actually pretty transparent about injuries, which I know Gundy doesn't like to talk about him. But Kleiman said, 
they're not going to, he's not going to practice all week and they're going to see if he can go on Thursday. So I'm not sure if Martinez will go. I know he's a tough guy. He probably wants to, obviously he tried to play the TCU game and then just couldn't. So in the TCU game, Will Howard gets knocked out with a shoulder, but he comes back in the game and plays. He throws an interception too, which I don't know if it was from the shoulder, him throwing back across his body into the middle of the field. But Kleiman said, if Martinez doesn't go, Howard is going to go. So he basically said that he will play. And then behind him, they have a really highly touted recruit, Jake Rubley, who we saw for a few He came out and threw an interception on his first pass attempt in that TCU game. I felt really bad for him. He's a redshirt freshman, very talented, but I don't think they want to go to him. And honestly, I think they were trying. My understanding is they were trying to redshirt Howard. Oh, wow. He didn't play it at all this year. And well, he Kleiman looks... alluded to it in the presser. This was these were his first snaps all season because Martinez obviously I think just has the one year. And I think they were going to go back to Howard and let Rubley get another year under him, or maybe even a quarterback competition there. But Howard hadn't played until that TCU game. Well, Howard, I'll give him credit. He looks wildly improved as well. Like I don't think just because will if Will Howard ends up going, I don't know how much that drastically changes the outcome of this game. Because I just think Adrian Martinez and Will Howard, two kind of similar style quarterbacks. I think Martinez has more game-breaking speed. But Will Howard, I mean, I don't know if you remember this, he went up the gut in 2018 for like 65 yards against Oklahoma State. So they both can hit you on the ground with their legs. Um, I would definitely say Oklahoma State would probably prefer to play um, Will Howard in this game. So there's also some talk. Deuce Vaughn may not be all that healthy. So there are some question marks with K-State this week. Yeah, so on the on the offense, I'll do this for the defense too. Adrian Martinez left the game and didn't return last week. Deuce Vaughn left the game but did return. He's had a banged up ankle now for several weeks. Tight end Ben Sinat left the game and did return. And then Will Howard left the game and did return. So they had several guys, and I'll do that for the defense too, but they had several guys on the offense that were banged up. Um, Kate, if you want me just to do a little bit yeah. on our scheme real quick, yeah, and we love, kind of break down to. some Thanks. of these players. Offensive coordinator is Colin Klein. You probably remember him. Uh, he was a recent K-State quarterback, ran the ball a lot, had some pretty good seasons there. K-State, their offense is fun. It, it's not that different from when Bill Schneider was there and from some of the other offensive coordinators they've had. They do a lot of gap scheme stuff. They'll do power, counter, pin and pull. You mentioned one thing that they maybe do a little bit differently between Martinez and Howard is Howard. So the running back will maybe have the pin and pull or the GT counter option to the outside and the key for the quarterback won't be back the other way. It'll actually be back up through the A gap. Straight off the center's butt. So they're actually like, if they do like a read play, they'll be reading in an interior defensive lineman as opposed to an edge guy and then Howard will either keep it or hand it off to Vaughn around the outside or uh, to DJ Giddens but they'll do a lot of that they normally have a tight end on the field so it's normally 11 personnel they'll do 12 but they'll go empty from 11 personnel they also even have the fullback position on their roster so they'll bring out Christian Moore and Jackson Dean at their fullback spots they do a lot of different stuff there They'll go play action pass, but they'll also go pro style and they'll even do mix in some air raid type stuff. It's a very multiple offense. They do a lot of different things and they do a lot of different things well. 
if they have to lean on the spread passing game, they'd probably prefer to have Howard out there. He actually, so he attempted seven passes of 20 plus 20 or more yards down the field in the TCU game. Martinez has only attempted 17 all season. And how oh, wow. it attempted seven in that game. So they do a lot of different stuff. They don't throw to very many receivers. It's pretty much their starters, Knowles, Brooks, and Warner. I think the next receiver that has any catches is RJ Garcia. And I believe he has had it down. I believe he has two. So outside of their tight ends and those three receivers, they don't really throw it to anybody else besides the running backs. But they're a fun offense to watch. This will be two weeks in a row where you see kind of a fun offense. You know, Texas does a lot of interesting things, even though they didn't execute them very well against us. So it'll be a, it'll be a tough task for this defense, even if Will Howard gets the go. Well, and you look at those skill guys that love the breakdown, by the way. I've always loved that play that K-State runs with the, the read right up the middle. It's really pretty when it works um, because it's kind of similar to that counter that uh, – Texas hit on where the entire defense just gets walled off. And it's like, you've got this huge hole to run through. Um, I I've always kind of appreciated K-State's offense in that regard, but it makes you wonder kind of which quarterback Oklahoma state would want to see in this game. Like I'm not saying Will Howard's a world beater by any means, but I mean, Adrian Martinez has thrown four touchdowns this year. I, I think that if you're Oklahoma state, knowing that scheme, I think you might rather even see a Martinez who's a little bit more ground oriented. Oklahoma state can run, like defend that maybe a little bit better, but I'll say this K state's receivers like Malik Knowles is Malik Knowles. We know him. Well, he's good. I think he's going to be a size mismatch for whoever he's matched up against. So the challenge is just getting somebody to throw it to him, but then Phillip Brooks at five, seven, like I, I don't have, the anxiety about K-State's receivers and their skill talent the way I had it about Texas. I think that this is a little bit, I mean, there's, it's a lot less firepower, I guess I'll say over, over the top. So I think Oklahoma State just has a few less things to worry about with K-State. Yeah. And you, you look at the stats and you see that this K-State offense has put up a bunch of yards, but they've had some issues. They stall out for multiple drives in a row. We've seen Oklahoma State do at times this year. Cade Warner, who is Kurt Warner's son. I don't know oh, how about that. that, but yeah. So he, he's a really talented player, but the Iowa state game, they covered him up. I don't even think he had a target. So these, some of these receivers aside, I mean, aside from Knowles and Brooks, the Warner, the RJ Garcia's, the Seth Porter's, they kind of go silent at times when they get out there and Martinez hasn't been able to find them. You mentioned him having some issues in the throwing game, especially down the field. But they love the wide receiver screen game. They like to split Deuce Vaughn out in a slot position and throw him the football. They love the running back wheels, so we'll have to be prepared for that again. But the quick passing, Brooks over the middle. If they're going to go deep, they're probably going to go to Warner. He's a big-time contested catch guy. He had a really nice catch in that TCU game from Will Howard. So like you said, I'm not sure which quarterback – Oklahoma State would rather face if it was a fully healthy Adrian Martinez, just because he is such a dynamic runner, you probably wouldn't want to face that. He's blown some teams out of the water with the running game sure. this year. If you got a fully healthy him and Vaughn, like you said, Howard, the thing with Howard is he will throw it into coverage. Like if he plays this entire game and throws it more than 25 times, he's probably going to have an interception. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even think that's like a hot take call to make. 
And so it, it'll be interesting. Deuce looked great in the TCU game, even with that banged up a- ankle and leaving the game and coming back. So we'll see. But if Sanat is out at tight end, you know, they've got Sammy Wheeler, they've got other tight ends, but he's been, you know, 347 snaps this year at tight end. That would be a big loss for them. And Kate, how do you, how have you seen their offensive line so far? Have they been pretty impressive to you? I mean, I always love K-State's offensive line. Like, it's it's kind of the gold standard in this conference. I'll say this. I don't know if they have the, like, um, the star on the offensive line that they normally do, but they're still a physical unit that will get after you. And that, that's just classic K-State football. So I like them. Um, I will say I'm less uh, concerned by them than I normally am, but that's not a slight on this K-State team. It's more a compliment of what they normally have there. So aside from, and I completely agree with you, aside from the injuries that they've seen in pretty much every other position group, I guess besides wide receiver, but even including the defense, the offensive linemen, the starters have played like every snap. Yeah. The backup left tackles played 44. The backup left guards played 44. The backup center has played 10. The backup right card, 25, and the backup right tackle, 23. <laughs> so uh, these guys, all the offensive linemen have played over 410 snaps. And How do we get the that, key, that type of injury luck in Stillwater? My gosh. The key guys are their left tackle, Leviston, and center, uh, Hayden Gillum. They've had Christian Duffy at right tackle has had some issues in the games I watched. Hadley Panzer's had a couple penalties on him at right guard. Cooper Beebe at left guard has yeah, been okay. Yeah, knows him. Yep. But the studs have been the left tackle in the center. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think it's, if you're going to run that scheme, you have to have left tackle and center be absolutely shored up. So yeah. it's not all shocking. these guys can pull. Yeah. hundred percent. So not, not shocking that, that that's the case with them. Um, you know, my, my biggest deal is I think this is a good matchup for the way Oklahoma state likes to play defense and Oklahoma state has had, a lot of success against K-State's scheme over the last several years, regardless of who plays quarterback. So um, I'm not expecting a dominant performance by any means, but I I do expect Oklahoma State to look better for four quarters than they did last week, even though, you know, we've, we just praised them. I would expect a, a more complete performance from the Oklahoma State defense in this game. Yeah, and I think I think mixing in some pressures in this game, Definitely. especially if you play in a banged up Martinez and banged up Howard, you obviously don't want to come in on them too hard because they can get out and make plays with their legs scrambling. But I think if you can do some things there, you know, we talked about that crush rush earlier in the season. But in the back end, I think you, you know, maybe play some different coverages, but I think they go with their base look a lot, you know, maybe keeping a couple safeties high. I don't know if there's anyone you need to shade over to it. Maybe giving Cam Smith some help, maybe giving the field corner some help, but I'm not sure what they're going to really try to attack here because with so many guys banged up and with Oklahoma state's defense playing, you know, decently well against the run aside from when you're facing a Bijan or Kendra Miller. Right. If you're facing a banged up Deuce Vaughn, you know, I'm not sure what exactly the scheme will be, but I think they'll be able to keep this Kansas state team under 30 points. 
Well, and and that's kind of the magic number for me. I know they put up 20, uh, 28 against TCU. Nobody, I mean, Oklahoma State's lowest point total on the year is, what, 34, if I'm not mistaken, like off the top of my head, and they haven't scored less than 40 in the last two games. So I'm not expecting – I think K-State's a little bit more talented on defense, but I think what Oklahoma State wants to do through the air doesn't really change. So I think that, again, we're not even to the K-State defense yet. More just thinking about this holistically. I think you're exactly right. Under 30 points, but I think that has to be the number because I think K-State's defense gives a it, – it proves a little bit more of a challenge than Texas is dead. Yeah, no, I agree. And, Kate, if you want to switch over to the defense, I can give the injury we, we, we might as well. It's, it's like a paper pop. Here's the injury report for K-State, too. So, so the the defense is similar to the offense with how many guys went out. So you've got uh, Khalid Duke, who is yeah. going to miss the first half for a targeting penalty in uh, the TCU game. That's a big one. Sam, yeah, their strong side linebacker. They blitz him a lot. He's uh, Duke and UDK Uzuma and Hayes, the free safety, I think are the three best players on their defense. And Duke's going to miss the first half. A's left the game with injury and didn't return. He re- he came back in and then left with injury again and stayed out. It sounds like he may play, but if he's not playing, that's a big deal. Julius Brintz, their corner, who I think is the better of their two corners, they're both pretty solid cornerbacks. Yeah. He left the game and didn't return. It sounds like Kleiman said he's probably going to play. Daniel Green, their middle linebacker, who... I just left him off. He's probably the other best player on the defense. If I had to name four guys, he left the game and didn't return, and he left early. He only played like 19 snaps. So it sounds like he's one that's out of all the injuries I think we've gone to. He sounded like the one in Kleiman's presser that probably isn't going to play, and that's a pretty big loss for them. Nick Allen, his backup, is a solid player. He played a lot, obviously, in that TCU game, but Daniel Green is kind of the leader of this defense, especially of the back of this defense. So a lot of injuries and a lot of guys that are banged up that are the, I mean, green, a lot of dudes, Brents and Hayes, those are some of the better players on their defense and maybe the best up outside of any DK on their defense. Yeah. Did you say uh, Uzoma was kind of banged up in the TCU game? He's been banged up all season. Yeah. Yeah, He's been playing hurt all season. That's unfortunate because that's, that's kind of like every dude on their defense is banged up right now. Um, But I'll give K-State some credit. They've always got dudes on defense. Khalid Duke and uh, Anudike Uzoma are two of the better, like, you know, that's edge rusher and, you know, strong side linebacker. Two of the better ones in this conference, I would say. And you hope that, I mean, Uzoma is himself, um, but he hasn't been all season. And then Khalid Duke not being in the game for the first half is a, is a big storyline to watch. You wonder if Oklahoma State can find some success early running the football, throwing at that spot. Um, again, I feels like a Brandon Presley and John Paul Richardson game again, Dustin, just the way you talk about it. Yeah, so uh, Joe Klanderman, he's been with Kleiman since the North Dakota State days. He runs a defense that we've seen this year before already, and we're going to see again when we play Iowa State. He'll run that 3-3-5. It's honestly more like a 3-2-6 because 
Duke is basically a defensive back playing that Sam strong side linebacker spot. So it's more like a three, two, six, I think than a three, three, five, all of these guys can cover when they came, when Klinderman came over with, with Kleiman, they were running four man and they decided <laughs> after a few games, let's switch it up next season. So they do a lot of different coverages. Last year against Oklahoma State, it was a lot of cover two, but they mixed in quarters. They'll do man. They'll do some match three, Tampa two. They'll do a bunch of different things on the back end. They also, I think in pretty much every game this season, have hovered around 35, 36, 37% blitz rate. So they will bring the pressure. And Oklahoma State, you just called out the slot receivers. Last year, they found Presley underneath in the zone a lot, crossing routes, wide receiver screens. They went heavy 11 personnel, and then they they ran a lot of split zone in that game. And that's kind of how they were able to gain yards in Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders had a really good game against them last time. So it's a really versatile defense. We talked about guys like Ico Boydo at corner, Julius Brintz, if he plays – these are solid corners. They, they're they not super physical like a TCU or even a Ryan Watts from Texas. So I, I think the Oklahoma State wide receivers will be able to get some separation there. But, you know, guys like Kobe Savage, Drake Cheatham at their jack safety, Austin Moore, the weak side linebacker, and then they, they'll hockey line change the three defensive linemen. They'll take Felix, Huggins, and Mott out and put in Pickle, Hintz, and Matlock. You'll see them do that several times. So they've got a lot of talent. And I think this is a really good defense that Oklahoma State's going to face, but I think there are weaknesses they can exploit. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. As you look kind of down the list, though, at the last matchups against Kansas State, Oklahoma State hasn't scored above 40 since 2017, and that was a game they lost. So we, we I just kind of mentioned that's the magic number for Oklahoma State. They haven't been held below that in several games. They haven't scored that against Kansas State in years. So this is one of those games where it's such contrasting styles. You know Mike Gundy well. He's going to want to run the football here. And as much as we just talked about Dom Richardson, you know, potentially being not relegated, but better utilized in some of those short yardage, third down, uh, red zone packages. I don't know if this is a game you do that. This may be a game you try to to grind out. I mean, you hope you're, you're a little bit healthier on the offensive line this week, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see to see what Oklahoma State tries to do. I think you were right on it just a second ago. Spencer had a great game against them on the ground last year. I think it's going to take that again. And the the thing here is, you know, I talked about Kansas State liking to blitz. Do you do they do that? Because we've seen now Texas brought on 15. I, I know he dropped back like 65 times, but <laughs> they blitzed him quite a few times and brought some kind of second and third level pressures on him. And I said, you know, 67% completion percentage. Texas Tech tried to blitz him and he ended up, you know, not a great completion percentage, but they end up winning that game. It, now that he's probably, you know, he had he didn't take a ton of he he took the kind of big shot on the personal foul there. Yeah, right. He hasn't taken a lot of shots to that shoulder. They didn't run him on a lot of designed runs. If he's gradually getting healthier, do you really want to blitz him and give him the opportunity to kind of break out and scramble? I mean, we've seen how good of a scrambler he is. So I'll be interested to see what K-State does in terms of that. But like you said, I think it's going to be a big game from the slot guys. 
unless K-State, you know, maybe that's what they decide to take away. But I think you got to get John Paul Richardson. You got to get Brandon Presley involved. I'd love to see some more swing passes to the running backs. I'd like to see some halfback screens, especially if Kansas State is going to bring pressure. I think that's kind of how you beat them. And then you've got to take your shots downfield because I think Oklahoma State's outside receivers can win some of these matchups. Yeah, and I, I think they're going to have to, but the way you talk about the scheme, like they go to cover two, they go to co- uh, quarters. I think that's kind of where Oklahoma State thrives is against that scheme where you can pick them apart underneath and then hit them down the field. I don't know what you do against Spencer Sanders. We kind of talked about it when we broke Texas down. Like, I'm not sure you can key on any individual one thing that Oklahoma State does because the common denominator is Spencer Sanders' ability to run the football. So whether it's designed, whether it's uh, improv- improvised, I I don't know what K-State's going to try to do, but I trust Spencer Sanders' ability to make the most of it no matter what it is. And if they do blitz, which I, even talking about it right now, I just I don't see a lot of that just based off of how it worked for Texas. I'm not sure if that's going to be the way they go. Yeah, and I, I, what, he had a really good passing game against Kansas State last year. I think he threw for like 340 yards. Sheesh. And that was K-State playing a lot of they, – they played different coverages, but they played a lot of cover too, and he just kind of shredded them apart. And he threw it, you know, kind of what we saw in the Baylor game earlier this year to those slot guys in the gaps yep. in that zone. And I, I think if Kansas State comes out and uses that same game plan again – he'll have another successful day throwing the ball. So I'll be interested to see what they try to take away, what they try to do. I'm going to be interested to see how many running backs Oklahoma State uses, especially injury-wise coming to this game. We don't know if Braden Johnson's going to be back. Right. We don't know if Jason Taylor's going to be back. You know, you hear hyperextended knee. How long Is does that, that true? keep him out? Right. If that's yeah. actually the injury. John Paul Richardson left it, had to leave the game with pretty bad cramps, so I think he should be back because he came back in late in that game anyway. Jaden Bray, we've heard he's cleared, but we didn't see him last week. How hurt is Dom? Will Preston Wilson be back? But K-State is banged up too. So I think going into this game, Oklahoma State's the better team not banged up. And I think with the guys both teams have out, I still think Oklahoma State will be able to come out on top on this game. Yeah, I do too. I think K-State's going to play them tough, but I feel like Oklahoma State has more. I feel like they've also been in situations like this. Like what K-State's going to do is not, anything that they haven't seen yet this season i mean even like this is this is kind of interesting arizona state did some of that like pulling with the like they tried to run that and so they it's not like they haven't seen that before it's not like they haven't seen it since last season i do think that this is still a pretty good matchup for oklahoma state even with you know some inexperience in the back end i don't know if k-state has the weaponry to really exploit that. And that's my biggest thing going into this game. And I think yeah. that I, that's the reason I think the number for K-State is 30, but I don't know if they're going to get there. I mean, I, I, I just, whether it's Martinez, Howard, or whoever, I don't know if they have the weaponry. No, I think, I think that's a great call. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, Kate, if you don't have anything else, I'm ready to pick it because we're kind of segueing right into picks we, right we, now. We sure are. You go <laughs> ahead, Podstradamus. Would you do okay. us the honor? So I've got K-State minus one and a half in the yep. over-under line at 56 and a half. So yeah. I'm going to go slightly over that. I'm going to take Oklahoma State 34, Kansas State 28. Okay, and so 
I I really Kate, I really want to pick this as a bigger victory, but with all the injury questions, I mean, I'm not trying to make excuses, but with it being on the road in Manhattan, all the injury question marks, I'm gonna pick it a little bit closer. But I, I think full strength, just from watching Kansas State and from watching Oklahoma State through these past couple of weeks, I think both teams at full strength, I'd want to pick this game more like 41-24. Yeah. I'm going to go 34-28. Yeah, I mean, that's that's totally fair. And uh, you, you may have a more realistic outlook on it with the injuries because I was going to say 41 to 27. Like that, that's where my gut is right now. I feel like Oklahoma State, it may be a closer game than that. Oklahoma State scores late, extends the lead, but that's the final score. I just feel like Oklahoma State is kind of hitting its groove. They even dropped, they dropped 40 against TCU and Spencer had one arm. Like, so I I don't know who's gonna hold them to less than 40 right now. K-State, it could be that. Could be a rowdy crowd in Manhattan. It's going to be. It's gonna be a sellout crowd. But I, I just like what Oklahoma State has. Um, and their ability to stretch that K-State defense and make them uncomfortable. And I don't, I just don't think K-State has enough to challenge them down the field, which is how I think you have to beat them. Yeah, and if Oklahoma State is able to get up, I know Casey Dunn mentioned they haven't been playing great with leads this season, but I think against a team like Kansas State, who has multiple banged-up quarterbacks, they're not a team that throws it down the field a lot. I mean, I know I said Will Howard did it in the TCU game, but Martinez has not wanted to extend the ball down the field. Kleiman's even taken shots at the media uh, in his presser talking about those shots down the field because they ask him about it all the time. They're not really a team that's going to play great from behind. I don't think they want to make the game ugly. They want to make it 10 to 9. And if Oklahoma State's able to go out there with tempo, score a couple of touchdowns early, I don't think they'll, you know, blow Kansas State out, but I think they can kind of smooth sail to a victory closer to your score. Yeah, hundred percent. So, I mean, let me ask you a totally random question because I think it really plays into my ideal scenario. You think Thomas Harper's back? I, I'm not a, sure what his injury is. So, if he's back and you put Jabbar on Malik Knowles. I really think K-State's going to struggle to find much through the air. And again, I don't even think Oklahoma State has a lockdown secondary. I'm more just kind of explaining how I get there. Like, if Thomas Harper's back, great. Even if not, though, I like Corey Black's size against him. Like, that's what that's what I think they would end up doing. And if Harper is back, you know, and you've got Muhammad and Corey Black at corners, then if Jason Taylor can't play and you have to, you know, yeah, right. Daniels at free safety and have Shawn Michael Flanagan at the bandit or even bring in a lyric Rawls on some snaps. I, I don't think that's, I know Jason Taylor's the heartbeat of this defensive, especially the back end of this defense, but against the skill players that Kansas state has at wide receiver. I don't know if I feel as bad about that. If you have a Harper back and you're able to play Muhammad and black at both corners, like you just said, but if Taylor can't play, that's going to be a huge blow to this defense, no matter who they're playing. Yeah, no, no question. Dustin, any final thoughts on K-State? Aggieville's a great place, by the way. So anybody headed up to Manhattan, uh, you're in for a treat. I, I really love Manhattan. It's a great town. Yeah, no, I have no no final thoughts. I, uh, I like that breakdown. Cool. Well, let's get to it. This is our, our favorite portion of the show. As we get to the Q&A, 
we have a similar dilemma as we've had for the last couple of weeks. We have a lot of audio questions and a lot of voicemails. And so we thank you for participating. If you're sending in questions through Twitter, we do appreciate that. Like, like don't take this any other way than a thank you. But just due to the limited time we have, we're going to answer those questions that come through the voicemail. So I have to remind you as well that the Q&A portion of the Feels Like 45 podcast is brought to you by Andrew Cox with WT Appraisal. WT Appraisal is the premier commercial agriculture appraisal firm throughout the Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas area, and the Great Plains region of America, specializing in appraisals of farms, ranches, commercial and retail facilities, and industrial real estate. WT Appraisal has over 30 years of experience in agriculture, real estate, and over 10 offices throughout the region. OSU graduate Andrew Cox, friend of the pod, has been appraising properties throughout Oklahoma for over a decade and would love to give you help with your appraisal needs. Give Andrew a call at 806-418-2629 or visit WTAppraisal.com for more information. Dustin, let's get right into it, shall we? Let's do it. Let's start with Carly Gatlin. Hey guys, it's Carly. Curious what halftime adjustment on the defensive side of the ball you guys think most led to OSU holding Texas to just three points in the second half. I really don't know why Texas stopped giving the ball to Bijan Robinson, especially late in the second half. I understand that the clock became an issue in the last two drives for Texas, but before that, plenty of time to give Bijan the ball. Let me know what you guys think. Go Pokes. Carly's becoming a friend of the pod, Dustin. I mean, yeah, we talked a little bit about this. great questions. It's a great question. I'll, fl- I'll kind of flip it to you. Yeah, so I, I know that's a I, – I think I, I've seen people say that they kind of went away from the run. So in the first half, Texas ran the ball 17 times for 161 yards, 9.5 yards per carry. They ran it 15 times in the second half. They just were only going for 2.9 yards per carry, <laughs> 43 rush yards. And to answer the first part of her question, we talked about it a little bit, but they were handling the counter different. So instead of the edge guy just kind of taking on that kickout puller, he's now attacking the inside, attacking that puller. And Trace Ford, if you, I put an example out, Trace Ford does like what they would teach, I think, in a book, a coach's book about this when you're talking about kind of spilling that counter play to the outside. He's doing it perfectly. And Tyler Lacey did it really well as well. And so now the linebackers are taking a different path. They're not fitting that gap anymore. They're bouncing around and attacking where the running back now has to run to the outside. So it all kind of hinges on that edge player. But like I mentioned too, it looked to me, and I could be a little off on this, but it looked like they were kind of slanting the gaps from yeah. the other defensive linemen, which, you know, we've seen them kind of do some more two gap read and react stuff. This time they were picking a gap, going one gap and coming after it. Although those were huge adjustments. And I think overall it wasn't in halftime adjustment to Carly's question, but having Jabbar, on Whittington, on Sanders, on on Worthy, whoever was in the slot, and then shading Jason Taylor as an extra safety help whenever Worthy was to the boundary because Texas loves to throw the boundary. I thought those were huge scheme things, and that's just Derek Mason knowing what Texas is going to try to do and knowing what he should do personnel-wise and scheme-wise to stop it. I thought it was a great game plan pretty much from start to finish, aside from how they handled the run. Well, it's a beautiful breakdown, and you kind of went where I was headed. 
the breakdown is is fantastic. Derek Mason is he's he's been around this block before. He's played explosive offenses like this. But the thing that we always gave credit to Jim Knowles for was his ability to make halftime adjustments. I think Oklahoma State knew what Texas was going to try to do. I mean, to your credit, they ran the play. You said they'd run a, a, a dozen times. So they they are a tendency-based team, but Derek Mason was all over it. And again, I think yeah. what they were able to do on the defensive line, even if it was something new and a lot of old stuff and just a lot of physicality, that defensive line really kind of dictated the second half. So uh, adjustments are great, but when you got dudes like Trace Ford and Colin Clay and Sionia C and and Colin Oliver, it gets pretty easy. Brock Martin didn't even play in this game. Like it's crazy. Yeah, and losing Brandon Evers. And I think the the other kind of halftime adjustment that I don't even think they really needed at times, just because yours was gonna th- having to throw it anyway late was they were bringing that bandit safety Kendall Daniels and Shawn Michael Flanagan up into the box to just kind of help out on the run so yep. it wasn't really needed I don't think the entire second half but it definitely helped out yeah here's one from Hayden hey y'all what game are you most worried about Kansas State OU Kansas thanks <laughs> Thanks, Hayden. I think that's a record. That's the shortest question we've ever been asked, but it's a great one. I love it. Thank you, Hayden. That's a great question. From a matchup perspective, I think I'll go K-State. From a pure cynical perspective, I'm going to go OU. They seem like they're getting healthier. Um, I don't know how much that matters, but yeah, I think that's my answer. I, yeah, I think I think I'm going to take Case State as well, just from a straight up football, not taking Bedlam into account. Right, at all. exactly. Like football perspective, I I think it's got to be K State. You know, if you win this game, oh. you go you go to KU. Who even if they get Jalen Daniels back, they have not looked as good defensively even as they have before earlier in the season. Then you've got Iowa State at home. You've got OU, which is Bedlam, and then you've got West Virginia, who has not looked very good. So the schedule kind of plays favorable to you if you can win this big road game in Manhattan. So I think this is the not only the toughest matchup left, but I think it's the biggest matchup yeah, left. I, I think you're spot on. And K-State, you know, tied with Oklahoma State in the conference standings right now. They're both one-loss teams. So the winner of this game has an inside track to Arlington, K-State's got Texas next weekend. I mean, we are in crunch time. Oklahoma State's got to win this game. Here's one from Patrick. Hey, guys. I kind of realized this week that Texas versus Oklahoma State is kind of an underrated series. Uh, We've gotten a lot of really fun, competitive games with a lot of really interesting um, moments um, from this game. And it, it probably gets overshadowed by the Red River series a little bit. But um nevertheless i'm curious what are some of y'all's favorite moments from this series i mean we have a bunch we have the uh the corn dog homecoming game we have that jason taylor interception from last year we have the ramon richards interception in the end zone down in austin and uh double overtime um (laughs) what are some of y'all's favorite moments from the texas oklahoma state series well, Oklahoma State has won nine of the last 13 against Texas. So there's been some moments. Yeah, I, I think mine, and those were great ones laid out by Patrick, and I love the question. I think mine's more not so much in the game, but just this series in general kind of was the 
away game, my wife and I would pretty much go to every year, especially when we lived in Houston for six years. So all three times we played Texas away, we were going to Austin. It was always a great time. We normally were winning. So I, I think just in general, this series has been a fun away game. I, I love going to Austin. It's a fun city. Wife loves going there too. We've even gone, you know, since we've been back in Oklahoma. So I think just, I love, I think if I had to pick one, it's probably all of the ones he just laid out. The corn dog game, the Taylor interception last year, the Ramon Richards interception, all those were awesome. But I don't know if I have a specific one, just more kind of the road game aspect in general of the Texas matchup. Was the was the Ramon Richards game the win to get Mike Gundy to five straight in Austin? Because no, my favorite moment in the Texas rivalry I think has to be that first win in Austin because I felt like it was never going to happen as a kid. I watched Vince Young terrorize Oklahoma State. I watched Colt McCoy do the same thing. And then Oklahoma State turns the table on them and goes deep to Justin Blackman several times. So that 2010 game is my favorite. That that deep pass to Justin Blackman was the first time I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to beat Texas. We're going to beat the Longhorns. I love that. And actually, actually, I just thought of mine. Mine's uh, Tom Herman thinking Mike oh. Gundy was running onto the field and then Mike Gundy doing the uh, are you not entertained oh. around to the crowd. Boone Pickett That's Stadium. actually my favorite moment. The stadium was in a frenzy at that moment. Well, I mean, I, that is a really good moment. I'm, anytime, I'm glad you brought that up. Anytime Mike Gundy is feeling, I know he's always feeling himself in press conferences and interviews, <laughs> but anytime he's feeling himself during the game, I enjoy it. Yeah, no question. God, that's a good one. I think if we sat here and thought about it long enough, there'd be others too. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. Here's one from Jake. What's up, guys? Jake Meyer here. Not a special teams question this week, (laughs) although I do appreciate that you are including our beloved kickers and punters more. I have four names of players that I think are potential stars at Oklahoma State. And I want to know who you think has the best career at Oklahoma State and who you think has the best career post-Oklahoma State out of these four. Stephon Johnson Jr., Kendall Daniels, Ollie Gordon, and Colin Oliver. Thanks. God, that's so tough. I almost want to exclude Colin. I love the question, Jake. And we shout out, we've been shouting you out every week, so you are welcome. <laughs> Um, I almost want to exclude Colin Oliver and answer from the other three. Well, let's do it then. Cause I have, I have a take and golly, if this isn't recency bias, then I don't know what it is, but I, I think it might be Stefan Johnson jr. I, I love that. And I, I, I mean, I don't even think that's a hot take. I love it. I, Cause he was a, he was a high, I, mean, I know he's only like a high three star, but a guy that big time schools were going after we got him to, decommit late and come to Oklahoma state. I think I'm going to go Kendall Daniels though, just for kind of NFL career potential as well. Yeah. Well, I I don't, unless I, I think Jake said Oklahoma state. So I would agree with you. If we're talking NFL, Kendall Daniels looks like a a pro bowl safety right now, like physically. So I would agree with you on that. I actually, my answer was through the lens of like how good Oklahoma state is at churning out wide receivers in college. And that's why I'm like, Stephon Johnson being on the outside already puts him at an advantage to well, that. He's playing the Z. He's playing the Z. Like that. That's the spot. So that's why I think it could be him. No, I love that call. And 
no, no shot at Ollie. I think he's going to be awesome too. I just, I think they're all three going to be awesome. And then I, I wanted to exclude Colin Oliver because he already is awesome. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. He is a star. Yeah. All I right. think he's, I think he's an NFL guy. Like, I mean, I think he could leave right now and get drafted in a, a decent round. So, yeah, I don't disagree. Jake, thanks for the question. Here's one from Aaron. Boy, howdy, Stephon Johnson. Man, what a day for that guy. Um, extremely excited to see his growth um, the next you know years here in Stillwater, and um, hopefully they keep him more involved uh, this this season. But my question for you all is, what happened with Rashad Owens? Uh, I know um, he had a lot of flashes last year, especially in, in the Baylor game, but I know they moved him kind of into more of the Cowboy back position. But I'd love to see him get more um, more touches in the offense this year. Uh, I think I'm, I'm scared that he's just going to be another guy that gets underutilized in that Cowboy back position and love to see him get utilized in more in-seam and flat routes. Um, so we'll love to get your perspective on that. Um also, a dude riding bullet, not a fan, kind of weird. Have a good one, fellas. <laughs> I actually didn't even notice that. I didn't notice that either. I'm going to have to look for that next game. That's my mom. My mom is a, uh LSU alum and LSU fan, so her favorite thing about Oklahoma State football is bullet. Uh, so is my three-year-old daughter's favorite thing about <laughs> LSU football is bullet. Um, so I... Well, you already said it. Rashad Owens played over 50 snaps. So he's Which, out there. Cade, we didn't even mention this earlier, I don't think, but 51 snaps is only like 50% of the snaps because we ran 98, <laughs> 98. plays. It's <laughs> a great point. It's a great point. But, I mean, underutilized in the passing game, is that where we're going? Yeah, I think, though, I mentioned it earlier, they are releasing the Cowboy backs more. You saw in this game... The throw to Schultz, which wasn't a great throw and not a great route from Schultz again, but uh, the fake kind of screen where the Cowboy backs look like they're blocking for a wide receiver screen and they release upfield. You saw Owens over the middle a couple of times. You saw Owens on the split zone play action. So I think he will catch some passes this year. I don't know if they're saving it. I just think it hasn't really been open and he's still kind of learning the routes from that spot. But you see him split out a bunch last game too. So it's he's there. He's just not popping. But I, I do think it's a great question. I'd love for him to get involved more. Yeah, I think so too. And I think this is just the nature of having such a loaded receiver core. Somebody gets pushed out. Not, And that's probably not even the best way to represent it. Rashad Owens is a talented receiver. And, and a guy that Oklahoma State believes in. But there's only so many footballs. And Spencer threw it 57 times. And, you know, Rashad Owens' role was more of that blocking split out at times, but but mainly what we know to, to be the cowboy back role. So, you know, it's it's one thing to say you could potentially underutilize one guy. Like, sure, I can see that. Like we're talking Jelani Woods. Like that's what that's what they're referring to when they say that. But it's just not the way Oklahoma State's used that position in the past. So I'm not going to hold my breath on a whole lot more touches from Rashad Owens. But Aaron, appreciate the question. Thanks again. Here's one from Big Lou. Hey, guys. Big Lou here. Big week for us. I think this this might be one of the sneakily, one of the worst games for us to prepare for because 
I am more scared to face Will Howard than I am Adrian Martinez. <laughs> Wanted to get your perspective on the the curse of the Kansas State backup QB. I remember, gosh, I forgot the year, but there was <laughs> I already know where converted we're receiver quarterback guy <laughs> that came in um, when we were playing K State and just just railed us. So, um, a my question is uh, is are, are you more worried about Will Howard starting or Adrian Martinez? and why that would be uh just give us kind of a breakdown thanks guys appreciate everything you do and go pokes thanks lou what was that dude's name i can't even remember but he's a receiver yeah that dude killed us people were ready to take glenn spencer out on the first bus out of stillwater (laughs) so i i mean i hear i hear what lou's saying i think it's a great question i think if you're going to give me fully healthy Adrian Martinez or fully healthy Will Howard, I'm taking Adrian. I mean, I would much rather face a Will Howard than a fully healthy Adrian. No question. Because he's, he's ran this offense really well. Him and Deuce Vaughn run the, him and Phillip Brooks have had a really good connection as well. But if you're telling me Will Howard is like, 99% and Adrian Martinez is 70. Yeah, I want to face the 70% Adrian Martinez. But here's the thing with Will Howard. I know he's had some big games. I know I talked about him throwing the ball down the field. He's 6'5", 240. He's a monster. Hard to bring down and very fast. But when he started, I know this is his freshman year, and we could talk about Spencer Sanders' freshman year and stuff like that, but that's the only time where he really consistently played a lot of games at quarterback. Nine games, eight TDs, 10 interceptions. I, he's going to throw interceptions if he has to throw the ball. And I, I think Adrian Martinez is not going to do that. So I would rather, I personally would rather face Will Howard just because I think he is more prone to turning the ball over. I think Oklahoma State knows what he can do. They've seen film on him. And there's a reason why Adrian Martinez was starting for this undefeated K-State team and not Will Howard. They've played Will Howard for the last three years. I think that guy has played quarterback in every one of those games that Oklahoma State has won. So, yeah. I, and he could torch us, and I could be wrong. I'm just yeah. saying that that's my take on it. Well, totally. I mean, Oklahoma State's given up plenty of yards this season, given up some points. Yeah, it totally could happen. Uh, I think I agree with you, though. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have much more to add. I think Will Howard is just less dynamic. Than, than Adrian Martinez, less game-breaking ability. We already kind of yeah. ran through that. All right, here's one from Coleman. Hey, guys, my name's Coleman Burke. This is my first time calling in a question this year, and I've got two of them for you. First off, Gundy <laughs> said he was confident Adrian Martinez would start this weekend <laughs> against Oklahoma State. Um, obviously, he's a great talent, but so is Will Howard, their backup quarterback. How does our defensive strategy change depending on who's starting? Secondly, uh, we've been very successful at stopping Deuce Vaughn the last two years. Looks like we've held him to 66 yards rushing on 30 attempts and zero touchdowns in our last two games. What do you attribute that success to? Uh, Are we able to keep it up this season? And is that going to be a key aspect of winning the game for our defense? Thanks so much, guys. Looking forward to the pod. Coleman, thanks, man. I think we've kind of answered the first one ad nauseum. I think we could probably just answer the second. Yeah, I agree. Coleman, thanks so much for the question. Uh, yeah, I game plan wise, if Adrian Martinez comes out there, I think you try to force him to throw the ball. And if Will Howard comes out there, you maybe go more base and 
kind of just see what he's what what K State is going to try to do because I, I I don't know with so many guys banged up what exactly they'll try to do with Howard out there. Yeah, I I think I'm with you. Um I you know, to the second part of the question on Deuce Vaughn, um, Oklahoma State has defended him well over the last several years. They really have. So nice call by you, Coleman. Um, I think a lot of that was just due to some like extremely good linebacker play and fitting those gaps well. It's what we talked about against Texas. Like Oklahoma State was gonna have to be sound there. They were in the second half, less so the first half. So I I would expect if Deuce Vaughn is is healthier than expected, I would expect maybe to see a little bit more dynamic version of Deuce Vaughn than we are accustomed to seeing against Oklahoma State. Yeah, and I think Oklahoma State's just done such a good job of tackling him. He's a make you miss guy in space. Absolutely. And Oklahoma State's tackling was exceptional last season. And in the past, going up against them, they've had some of those tacklers, like you mentioned, linebackers, Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper. So I think a big key there is is tackling and not letting him get through the defensive line. You know, he's not a very big guy. If you can get a hand on him, one of the defensive linemen, the linebacker can kind of come in, bring him down. It, it, that's how you kind of corral him, gang tackling. Yeah, no doubt. Oklahoma State's done a really good job of that this year, too. So I think the defensive line could could wreak havoc on him. Here's one from Ryan. What's up, dudes? Two questions. First, if I could let you choose which quarterback to face Saturday, would you rather OSU go against <laughs> Will Howard or Adrian Martinez? Number two, after that second-half performance by this defense, has Derek become your favorite D. Mason in Ooh. OSU history. Ooh, I don't know about that, Ryan. You got to me that's a hard no cuz I'm a huge down. Derek Mason fan. Oh. I love the question. Slow right. your oh, roll. Yeah, Desmond. Desmond. Mason fan. Yeah, I knew it. Slow your roll there, cowboy. I yeah, yeah. Desmond Mason's still the goat D Mason. I mean, Derek no, I think that was a little bit of a joke from Ryan. I like that though. Yeah, it's good. All right, let's go. Here's one from no nobody other than Alex Fuller. Here we go. Hello there, feels like fourth epicest sports fans. This is your three and four man with a million dollar plan. That's right, I did it. I double reverse faded myself, jinxed Texas by taking him last week, and it worked. Texas is dead, a dead team, a dead program. I put this Oklahoma State football team above and beyond my personal betting picks because I love them that much. On to K-State, this is my don't think, just throw special of the week. Don't think about it. Just throw. Let it go. It's Oklahoma State money line. you got to believe. Believe in this team. Believe, believe, believe. Money line. I don't care if they have half a team and zombies walking around there. This team's finding a way to win. I love it. I love he it. Us, he told us he brought the energy this week, and he he did not let us down. Love that from Fuller. Love the enthusiasm after last week being kind of a uh, being kind of a sad, a little sad, sad. Yeah, I, I was thinking he may have been having a medical emergency there at the beginning. So very very good uh, f- question from you, Fuller. Phenomenal delivery. Um, Oklahoma State money line won me some money last week, so I, I faded you. Fuller and it, it worked out well. 
Yeah, I'm. Both of us are picking Oklahoma State money line, which we have every game. So yeah, you you know it. I bet. I bet if you went back historically, I don't know this. This isn't betting advice. I bet if you went back historically and just picked Oklahoma State money line, you probably have won some pretty good money over the past you know ten years. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, that's it. That's what we got. We did it. We sure did, Dustin. That was a huge win over Texas. And again, as much as you'd love to relish that one, you can't. It's right back to the grind, and the Big 12 is as good as it's ever been. You go to Manhattan, and you've got a big one against K-State, both of us picking Oklahoma State to win that game. But it's going to be a dogfight, make no mistake, and uh, we'll see if Oklahoma State pulls it out. Any final thoughts from you before we wrap this up? Just go, folks. That's it. That's always it, right? And as always, you can follow us at Feels Like 45 Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow Dustin at Dust Dragoo. You can follow me at Cade Webb. And if you need any bar recommendations or anything to do while you're up in Manhattan, don't don't text me. Text my brother, friend of the pod, Cameron. He'll tell you. <laughs> Go, folks. We'll see you back here next week. Beat K State.